Ahoy, mateys. This is Adrienne Barbeau, your nightlight, and you are listening to the Nightmare Junkhead Podcast. And yes, genius, you can call me Bill. of your consciousness like a bad dream you can't wake from this is the nightmare junkhead podcast a horror podcast that knows a breakfast is never complete without a piping hot bowl of quaker oatmeal my name is greg d i'm genius mcgee and on today's episode we're delving even deeper into the mouth of march madness as we welcome the horrorversary and classic horrors podcasts to help us break down the remaining horror classics from our 1982 bracket. And whether or not you've danced like Ed Harris, you can listen into our show. Simply search like <laughs> Don't let go. It throws you off. It's amazing. Uh, just search for Nightmare Junkhead wherever podcasts are played. Hit subscribe. And when we drop our latest episode, it will dance directly into your listening device of choice. All up in your Atkins hole. <laughs> Uh, of course, uh, you can find us on social media. Uh, we're on Twitter at Nightmare Junk and on Facebook at Nightmare Junkhead. And it is on that book of face where we have an events tab, which leads to shenanigans and Robo Cretan shenanigans. And as this episode is releasing on Friday, March 11th, if you go to screenland.com, they've got your Robo shenanigans taken care of indoors and virtually. And admittedly, we are recording these episodes way in advance, mm-hmm. so please just go to Screenland.com where you can take a look to see what the latest Friday Night Friday is, which, by the way, as we mentioned last week, is an honorable mention mm-hmm. in this year's Into the Mouth of March Madness and is another one that I definitely have that remorse a mm-hmm. little bit, uh, but you know, getting to see Lucky McKee's May on the big screen, which again is going to be a first-timer for me. Oh, Really? Man, if you all just saw the the visual right now of just that, because I've probably I've seen that with both of you, maybe. Yeah, Pro- yeah. Genius is looking like, yeah, you, you bastard. No, 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 no. <laughs> I think that seeing on the big screen is the way to go. I've never seen it on the big screen, and it, I, I I think you're gonna dig it. And like, it's it's almost a gothic romantic A twenty four Frankenstein tale. Yeah. No, and that's what I know of it. Yeah. So and- I'm looking forward to it no and angela bettis you yeah. can't go wrong you can't go wrong but then the following friday on the 18th a film that is competing in this year's into the mouth of march madness tournament from 2012 a remake mm-hmm. and i i get elijah wood just embracing his creep we will always champion a mustache on this podcast and i will especially champion a pencil thin mustache so come on out for the remake of Maniac. Oh, yes. This one is great. I enjoyed this immensely. We talked about it when we did a month of talking remakes. Uh, first time or first time view at that time, so I'm looking forward to revisiting it on the big screen. Uh, but more importantly, <laughs> you should be following us on social media because that is where we have the Into the Mouth of March Madness bracket. And, of course, without the bracket. How are you going to play along? And hopefully you are playing along. Mm-hmm. Uh, submitting anything on all in all social medias. Of course, 
show your work. Yes, indeed. Especially when it comes down to your final two films. Mm -hmm. And man, oh man, just the year of 1982 has already had a lot of spoils. Oh, yeah. It's always a wealth of riches in the 80s. And we often mention that depending on the day, depending on the hour, depending on the minute that we recorded, the movies we're talking could possibly be different. But I really don't know if it would be different regardless based on the legacy of the four films that we're going to be talking about, Mm -hmm. based on the fan base of both of these films, and based on kind of the lasting power and kind of the true definition of cult classics yeah. in our f- remaining four films. That's true, but I'm still kind of heartbroken over my boy Q. Well, And that's just it. That's just it. It's that Michael Moriarty factor mm-hmm. that you can never, never throw out. Now, that being said, here in the round of the Scream 16, we, of course, bring in some very special guests here to help us see which film advances into the next round. And this is really nice because... It has become tradition that we will always have several guests on. Uh, number one, let's face it, proximity. It's mm-hmm. just always nice when, you know, they're here in town and they can just, you know, and they don't mind some putting themselves in my basement. Uh, number two, when their joy... <laughs> it puts and, the headphone on its head. <laughs> <laughs> but their joy and passion of movies and their breadth of knowledge of films that sometimes you just mind-boggling ridiculous ridiculous people are like man you guys know a lot about movies like shit you should meet this guy (laughs) well of course and more than anything uh his particular podcast actually celebrates everything that into the mouth of march madness is about march all year long absolutely in fact uh his podcast celebrates films that celebrate anniversaries and we're talking the 10 year the 20 year all the way back to i think at least 60 to 70 years at this point so that's looking at a lot of films celebrating their anniversaries. And, of course, amongst other things, he is a screaming mad George devotee. <laughs> Please welcome back to Nightmare Junkhead and Into the Mouth of March Madness, Horrorversaries, Adrian Torres. Every goddamn time. Every, every, every goddamn time. I mean, you're, you're nicer. You're, you're, you're walking around it when, when it comes to making the reference. No, 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 no. I'm talking about his work in the later Silent Night, Deadly Night series. Oh, of course. Of course. Uh, yes. Which yeah. we just uh, watched yes. for the first yeah. time. Uh, yes. Yeah. I figured which, you... which, which, when you watch some of the goopiness and, and the and the body parts <laughs> doing things and that, yeah, it definitely goes back to a certain movie. that And, and especially when you're talking about the director of that, that was, film. That was a fantastic backpedal, dude. <laughs> I got to get... I got to give you kudos for that as a person who tries to backpedal as much as i can dude that was that was well but, done. but it was it well was done. it was it was still as close as you as you could come to, to referencing it like i said with, I, with having the director connection there and i just want to go for the record that was him this yeah. time no i know <laughs> i know it, 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 it wasn't it wasn't uh, on a on a to pull back the curtain of course on, on patreon which you, the beaded you should, curtain you should be following these gentlemen on on patreon but of course back in in february to to celebrate Valentine's Day, I got to be lucky enough to set in with their their fan commentary, and of course they they blasted me right away at the at the start of that. So, well, it, it's 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 again, tradition. It is tradition. It's, <laughs> it's tradition. In the month of March, 
you, we're going to celebrate a lot of films. Yeah. Genius and I are going to see f- uh, some first-time viewings, again, mm-hmm. celebrating cult classics. But we're going to bring one Adrian Torres on. I'm, I'm glad. I feel I feel like I'm in, in rarefied air with, with certain people, with getting to be like, I feel like I should have one of the smoking jackets, jackets right? for, like for the, the SNL mm-hmm. skit. Yeah. Do we, yeah, do we have the five-timers? Because this is our sixth year at this point. Yeah. Man, now you caught me off guard. We might have to retroactively give you the jacket, <laughs> potentially. I'm going to have to look into that. But no, man, it's just become... One of those things, and we've talked about it before off mic, Genius and I, we're, we're getting up there in age. Uh, we're closer to becoming members of the AARP mm-hmm. than the KISS Army at this point. We're getting rascal <laughs> shit in the mail. Yeah. Well, hey, aren't those one and the same these days? Yeah, and that's true. Yeah. Gene Simmons knows his audience. <laughs> but, you know, making friends at this point, it's, it's tough, and making good friends is even tougher. Mm-hmm. And you've become a... That's Charlie... She's enjoying her peanut butter. Uh, you've become a friend of the podcast, but like literally a friend of ours. And again, just taking some time out of your schedule to come and talk with this man. Oh, I, I love coming in and talking of the mouth of Mar- March Madness. So seeing, you know, the films that have been discussed once you get down to this point, And then also at the same time, not only are you, you choosing in the competition, but then you also have to remember the people that you have that are coming after you. And at least this year, you know, this is a more, more positive and happy year when films that are being chosen, I don't have to worry about scarring anybody because I'll still go back to the days of having, you know, martyrs on there and and being like oh oh no it, it's either c'est magnifique d- depending upon where i come on the thing either somebody's going to make me watch it or there's a chance i might make someone watch it but this i i, I feel a lot better because whatever goes through the people who get to discuss that next you're just getting a wealth of riches you, you've got four great films that we're going to talk about here that whatever moves on it's you want all these. I mean, this is this is everybody's a winner. Exactly. People are going to look at this and be like, well, this is a Sophie's choice. And regardless of the decisions that we have on what goes forward, I think this is a case where people are going to yell at us because the two movies that, that are going to end up getting left off, people are going to be like, but I love those. Films. Oh, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. That, well, and that's part of the madness. Well, and we've also long held that just because a film advances into the next round mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily make it a better film. Well, it's, it's you, you guys it have the bracket better. Mm-hmm. You guys have the hardest job in this. Oh. And, and that's because you guys are the ones who kick it off. So you're compiling the films that you have. And then you have to sit down and go, oh, it's up to us to, to decide what's going out of that first round. Well, you know, even so worse that's is gotta be difficult. just the selection because yeah, I so, still have, yeah. like, why wasn't murder by phone, you know, in the <laughs> tournament rather than just an honorable mention? Again, right. someone out there is just cursing us right now. But yeah. no, what's the cool thing is the fact that the many times that you've been here with us, you're well-traveled in the mouth of March Madness because yeah. you've gone in the aughts. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've been in the 90s. 90s. Yeah. And now, my friend, we are going back as far as back as we go here, 40 years into 1982. It's so so beautiful. Because we talked about it in the tournament selection episode. We talked about it in the first round. Mm -hmm. 1982, Beyond Horror, genre in general. Do you have any ones from that year that kind of stick out to you outside of horror? See, 82 and 81 are the years that are always difficult for me to remember exactly what is what year. Also because of like, you know, movies that might have gotten released in other countries and stuff. And so it's always difficult. Like I always try to step back for that later. Later in the 80s, it's easy. But what everybody forgets is this this is still in the middle of the crazy boom Mm. that we're having that you have. You have, you know, 79 and 80 people are starting to ratchet up. You get into 81. Everybody's making it. 
And so by the time you hit 82, not only do you have still small people coming out of the woodwork with a couple of films that we have in here, but then you have the studios are making sure to put out that money mm-hmm. to, to get in and, and stay on it. And so like 1981, 1982 is just a wealth of riches. You look at all the movies that got, you know, anniversary editions last year and all the ones that are getting it this, this year. year yeah. It's just, it's too many to count. So it's like, I, I can't, I can't choose for my babies. I, I can't, I can't, I can't kill my children here. Let's just say this. If you ever decide to do a Conan the Barbarian episode, <laughs> I, I know several people that would literally go and, you know, Contemplate the riddle yeah. of steel for you. A- on any, that anybody side. who wants to take on the wheel of pain. Yes, yes. The tree of woe. You want to bite a vulture in the neck. And we were talking about you know friendships and, and how long people would be together and everything. I did notice that I think all but one of these films were movies that back in the day we played at Terror Tuesday. Yeah, oh, I guarantee. The the only one that I think we didn't show was Halloween Three. That's because the the thing was one that I had shown. And one that you guys had in, in glorious thirty five millimeter, thirty five, yeah, for for one of the dismembers. Uh, basket okay. case was was one that we had and that for, was, for Terror Tuesday. And I remember that was in one of the smaller ones yeah. at the time. Was that it in wasn't, four? No, it no. wasn't in four. And was we said, it in we three? Still, we still sold it. I want to say it was three, and I yeah, believe we sold it, it out was. just because everybody's like Frank Kenlotter on the big screen. You got to go see that. Yeah. And then and then of course Creep Show was oh. Creep Show was also in, in number one. Yeah. So yeah, no, it's. And that's just it. There's such a wealth of riches here. And again, we've upset someone by not getting them in no. here. But we also have, and it's something because we're, we're in the age where I think we would all define ourselves in one way or another as collectors. We're talking about that's the right. anniversary editions. And I you, thought you were going to say old, and I'm like, yeah, I agree no, with we that can too. <laughs> we, we don't need to admit that on air. So <laughs> Experienced collectors. Seasoned. But all four of these movies are ones that have been embraced to be put out in very special versions over mm-hmm. the last several years of course you have halloween that ends up on the great giant massive set that was put out by um what's it called scream factory mm-hmm. and halloween 3 has a 4k version of it now that exists creep show does the, the thing has has a 4k creep show has a giant massive edition mm-hmm. and uh basket case of course was put out by by arrow and a beautiful edition so all of these movies have had like you know the best presentation the best special features that you have out there just to show how beloved these four films are and that's just that there is so much love for them mm-hmm. and and it's really funny also is many of these films we're still talking 40 years later but people were really bad mouthing them at the time of release <laughs> which is great so let's go into our first yeah, matchup here and people are some some of these people are bad mouthing them still to this day <laughs> well we'll get into that but i don't it's hard to find anyone truly bad mouthing today uh, both of the films that we're going to be talking about uh, we're looking at the thing going up against basket case and then lotter versus carpenter which two masters ideally but also what i love here is we've got two instances and two definitely decidedly different instances of body horror mm-hmm. yeah so let's go guest here what one do we talk here first there? let's Adrian? start with basket case because ah, every, everybody knows that that the thing's going to get you know it's it's moment and time <laughs> to shine in the sun but basket case feels like it's always a fun film to discuss and i think another one that many people continue to discover mm-hmm. 
but it's that movie that's kind of the ultimate. I've seen that. Mm-hmm. But and we recently hosted a, a showing of Basket Case for Friday Night Friday, and at least fifty percent of the audience was seeing it for the first time. And out of that, the majority were like, "Yeah, that movie was great." <laughs> I one of the things that I always love putting Basket Case up for is whenever anybody talks about the old days of Forty Second Street and stuff like oh, that. Oh yes, and, and Dirty New, New York. Exactly, Dirty New York. There's lots of people who want to choose. You know, the the obvious one that everyone knows of or has seen in, in Taxi Driver. But my mind goes for Basket Case because of the way that they're, they're filming. You know, it, it feels like that you have that that kind of slimy texture that, that adds mm-hmm. to the character of the movie. And the fact that they were shooting in many cases without a permit. Yeah. And in many cases, a lot of the people that are coming up to them are real people. Right. And in so many cases, there's so many of them are just so seasoned New Yorkers that they just, just do another not care. day. Yeah. <laughs> oh, somebody's running down the street hanging down. Well, welcome to New York. You know, so do you remember your initial kind of uh, experience watching this one back in the day? It was a high school one. Okay, I know, I know that I don't remember like what grade exactly it was, but I know that it was a high school. Uh, I know I've mentioned it several times on here, but back in the day in high school, we had a small group that it wasn't like, hey, we're a film club, but we had several theater people who would get together on Friday nights. Usually, would go to either regional thing, but either video library or you know another movie. Uh, place that we'd find but usually video library had all the horror films that you would find you would want and would have the clamshell cases and everything like that and so i know that this was in one of the piles that that we have i believe it was on the night that we also ended up doing puppet master two and three because we would would choose between three to four films to throw on usually you know the shorter the better because that way you can cram more in and i remember that it was it weirdly you know, fit together by by having you know all the the practical effects and and everything be in there. But I remember that was the first time that I saw it was huddled in in a basement in an old CRT tube TV, which almost feels kind of like the perfect way to mm-hmm. to, to be introduced to this film. Summer cramped and dark, floors possibly <laughs> sticky. Yeah. Lots of creaking and weird sounds, so you mm-hmm. don't know what's going on in the corner. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Those theater kids get wild. <laughs> they get wild. I'm speaking from experience. Those theater kids get wild. Put them in a dark room, no supervision, craziness. And Cram them into a wicker basket. You're right. Put them in the basement of a sex shop like this movie. <laughs> Yeah, you know the the whole the whole entire uh, half the sets were in filmed in a sex shop. They had to cover up the dongs, which surprisingly surprisingly because then they hang dong later. So yeah. you know, which oh man, I'm really upset at this point. We need we, the gong dong. We do need the gong dong. <laughs> the dong yeah. dong because technically we could break it out at this point. Boom. Uh, do you remember initially in again? Uh, Adrian is uh, one that uh, has hosts multiple multiple <laughs> films. Do you remember? You know the crowd reaction to Basket Case. It was it was great, it, it, because you had lots of people who hadn't seen it for the first time. So you had people who were kind of squirming at times, wondering what's going to happen. When you would you have the jump scares, it's out there. But then you also had people who were buying into the comedy that's in there, and I think that that's an important thing with with all of Henenlotter's work is is that that humor. That's it. it. It might not be for everybody. Yeah, oh yeah, no. But if you're on that level, you're gonna have a better time. And I think that you, you have people like him. You have uh, Yuzna and a whole bunch of other people who are like, okay, we're gonna show you some some weird and, and potentially you know damaging <laughs> imagery well, up on the screen. But we're also going to to get you to to feel okay with what you're watching because of that sense of humor that you have. And that adds to the charm of Hen- Henlotter because all of his <laughs> monsters, in some way or another, are charming or at least 
pleasantly entertaining. You have the comedy in Frankenhooker with yeah. Frankenhooker herself. You have the charming sing-along song with Elmer. But in this <laughs> one, in the basket case, it's charming when you see Belial doing his little stop motionness. Not in what he does. He's not a good person. He's no, still no, no, very no. violent <laughs> yeah, and terrible. Oh. But at the same time, when you see him like just walking in that little like stop motion animation style, there's something old school charming about it. Yeah. When you hear him and his Rawr! that whole response is yeah. just unsettling Full and throwing wonderful. shit around. Just everything about him, and like you said, and the kooky characters. Yes, that's just it. It is the charm of the characters and those people. That just the the guy that's the owner of the hotel in. He just you can the, smell him, right? Because yeah. they're all so of, over the top, but yet they feel real. Very much well, yeah, so. Because they're, they're all real people. In, yeah. 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 I, I was going to say because I'm, I'm trying to make sure not to say the character's name instead because the two words are too too close together, but. Uh, therein belies the charm of of the low budget aesthetic mm-hmm. you know that what that you're mentioning that they're you know they're shooting it you know partially guerrilla style just to get this in yeah they've got people who aren't really actors that you know that they're kind of pulling off for it and it, it gives it a more natural and weird feeling wh- which works with the the story the that you're telling yeah. exactly mm-hmm. it makes the the characters and the city you know all add to it all add to the vibe that, that you have and so when you're actually taken to some place that's a little bit cleaner you you feel a little bit more off kilter when you're you know in 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 like the doctor's office yeah you know or you're in an apartment that's not in the cd motel you almost feel a little bit more off because things are nicer th- than what you have in the rest of the film yeah and and this movie just oozes 42nd street yes. i mean there's a reason why i won the battle of 42nd street <laughs> yeah. because this is like 42nd Street Prime. Yes. Well, and it's, it's also a reminder, especially me now, going, oh, I can appreciate it from afar, but I would probably, I would have been terrified to be on 42nd Street back in the day. <laughs> oh, I would have loved it. Because I would have been, you know, the, the street toughs. You know, I would have been like, you know, moving like a ninja in between each theater, you know, <laughs> looking for Quetzalcoatl at that point, you know, which was also another one on 42nd Street. Collecting all the flyers. <laughs> I, I'm just going around. <laughs> ah. Like you said, it's bizarre that a movie like this with the content that it has Mm -hmm. is charming. And I think a lot of it does stem from that. It's all, it's collaborative, but it's all Hen and Lauder. Yeah. You know, everything, his entire, what he can do with what he had and the inventiveness of like, Hey, let's, Fuck it, let's use real people, real locations right here, and we won't tell anybody we're doing it. Well, and I think it also comes from the lead actors that he's choosing. You know, when you look at at, the, at that prime Henenlotter example of, you know, Frankenhooker of Brain Damage and this, those leads that you have in there, there there is both a, a form of naivete for mm-hmm. them and, and something that's, you know, just low-key charismatic but you also feel sympathetic for yeah, all of them they are sympathetic and, and so you know Dwayne is definitely somebody who who has that when you see him he might look a little bit odd but you know he he feels very very genuine agreed no i'm sorry i'm looking my no, own, yeah, my no, own they, belial over there making sure <laughs> she's not doing anything bad no you're 100 right because it is they are sympathetic and you don't you are rooting for Dwayne because he is put in that weird situation and with weird people and, and it's really funny too because we've seen a lot of revenge against doctor films recently yes. um, especially with malignant <laughs> and one of those really good <laughs> recent ones and again that's another reason that i love this movie that it continues to influence people mm-hmm. and it continues to influence popular culture. How many people actually, if you show them, not necessarily all of Belial, but him just sticking out of the basket, they'll go, oh, yeah, it's that 
basket case or if you give him multiple choice questions, they might be able to pick out the lie. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. it's literally it's one of those things. He's, he's just weirdly in the popular consciousness. Which he's, is fantastic. he's so the thing in the basket. Yeah. He's so unique looking too. Yeah. the design that they I have mean, of him. And look, I mean, I literally have a little painting of him over there. So <laughs> it's like, it's awesome. Awesome. Mm-hmm. So good. So final thoughts on basket case before we head into Carpenter town. No, I enjoy it. I've always enjoyed the 42nd street aesthetic. The, the, they don't make movies like Basket Case anymore. <laughs> well, I mean, they kind of do with Malignant, but like, they yeah. don't. They don't make series like Basket Case anymore. No, well, Basket Case the series wasn't like Basket Case anymore because it just goes off the rails. I know. When but you have but a that musical was... number, <laughs> but but I mean, I think that that that's one of those things that's special to that time period too. Mm-hmm. Is that you have it with the small beginnings, and even though the budget goes all over the place. Sure through all of them you see the weird places that that series goes and that's kind of what you you want and and you know in uh, a lot of well when it comes to sequels and stuff like that i mean we're so inundated with so many sequels nowadays that are always trying to tow you know the same line to give people what they think they want that going back and looking at that so many films you know from the, the 70s and 80s that give birth to a series the weirder they get the almost more love that you find for them. Like sure. you're definitely going to find people who absolutely love basket case two and three because of the places that, that end up How going. Weird they get. you think of that, you think of stuff like uh, the stepfather series and it's, just, just all these, you're like, where is this series going? But there's, there's some Amityville. Yeah. Amityville yeah. for God's sakes, had the giant set that was put out on vinegar syndrome just because of how weird those sequels end up being. I can't wait because we'll have just at this point uh, our first Friday Night Fright in the month of March <laughs> is Amityville. It's about time. Oh, so I'm curious to see if people will come out and if they do, how it plays. You just, But do you think of, of the original Amityville and then going to uh, Amityville 2? Ooh, sleazy. The mm-hmm. Possession. It's so much different from the first one that yeah. even then they're like, we're just going to go wild with it. And it's the same thing that, that the Basket Case series goes yeah. completely off the rails, yeah. but you, you almost respect it more so for doing so. And it also allowed him to continue his collaborations with uh, Gabriel Bartolis, mm-hmm. uh, just in terms of the special effects, because every stuff that you see in Basket Case 2 is it's Basket <laughs> Case with a budget, mm-hmm. and, and it definitely shows. But no, I admittedly, yeah, the, the first one, though, it's a classic for a reason. It launched a franchise yeah. for a reason. It gave him, Hannon Lauder, a, a career for a reason. <laughs> now, in 1982, there was a movie that was beloved by America where an alien creature comes down to Earth and... Shenanigans ensue. Interacts with people mm-hmm. and, you know, a few things are eaten and things are said and people loved it and it, it was not the thing. Um, <laughs> I have only seen E.T. one time. Mm-hmm. It was the one time in the theater, and it's because I bawled my eyes out back in 1982. <laughs> my friend Troy Huber literally had to console me and be like, hey, Craig, it's, he's okay. Look, he, he doesn't look like, you know, that shrunken whatever, you know, as he was before. And <laughs> he's he's not in, in the in the trash heap in the mud. Oh, oh, all, don't, no. Just, all white and scaly over. Oh, it's horrible. It's horrible. It's, it's like just, a big old turd left out well, it's, it's, it's one of those two images that people forget white. about from their, white dog shit. Th- their their childhood of, of movies that we would watch over and over in the 80s that being one the other one being pinocchio mm-hmm. with a shot of pinocchio face down in, in the water looking like he's drowning you can put that right next to the et and just have a generation of children who are bawling just looking at that well and what's crazy though is to think then that same year you would have again that basic basic same storyline 
And then you get, hey, kids like aliens. Let's make an alien movie. <laughs> Let's make a movie about some and alien again, coming again, Earth. It's a film that we're talking 40 years later, but man, in 1982, everyone hated John Carpenter's The Thing. <laughs> <laughs> Just did not do well in the box office. Uh, it really made John Carpenter kind of upset with the whole mainstream mm-hmm. Hollywood system. Uh, but it has legs, and now many consider his his best work like many consider this the, the best, best horror, horror movie yeah so i know we cannot bring anything new to the topic but do you remember your initial that, i was i was about to to jump over you because i think it's the best thing that anybody can say about the thing is no i don't remember when the first time i saw the thing is all i know is that the thing has been with me my entire life yeah <laughs> that there there hasn't been a decade there hasn't been a year there hasn't been a time where the thing hasn't been on my mind it's it's a movie that I rewatched several times here. It's probably in my top three favorite horror films, if not oh. top five favorite films oh, of all time. I did not know that. It's a film that I have owned on every single format <laughs> that that has come out. I don't care if you know what the reason is, but it, it's something. It's just one of those movies that grabs me and and won't let go. And of course, the weird thing is, is that there are. When it comes to how creepy and slimy special effects and, and, and are and everything, it's a film that I gravitate to when I have problems with, with something like society. I have I have those noted issues and stuff sure. like that. And yet it's almost because of the issues that I have with that movie and how much it's it's scarred that the thing is is my solve. It's it's that thing that, that makes me feel better. <laughs> well, when you're talking about how dark and how gloomy and how disgusting some things are in this movie, it's it's one of those films that I've never been able to get out of my head. I, I absolutely love every moment of it. It's just the thing is, is it's, it's one of the, you have movies that latch onto your life and it gets to a point where you can't really explain what it is. You could talk about all the things you love with it and you just find yourself going, I just love this movie. It's, and and the thing is one of those films for me. It's comfort food for you. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, and the, the beauty of it is rewatching it. And obviously since here in Kansas city, uh, well, I guess, Last month, we had a pretty big snowstorm. Yeah, perfect time to For watch the thing. the thing. Yeah, and I don't know. It's the mo- it's the movie that continues. They just keeps giving again. Whether it's Wilford Brimley doing the whole face thing, <laughs> you always forget that. I'm like, oh my god, yeah. it's it's McReady's hat. Yeah, exactly. It's just it's everything about this movie. It's, it's the, like the like the thing you said. It's always with you. You know like, what the thing is? The fact that we played. The Thing board game right yep. here. And that Thing game is significantly better than the E.T. game. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> significantly better. They're not going to be filling landfills with they, the they Thing s- game. They sold out of the Thing game when it first came out, and they had to dump half the E.T. games into a landfill. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Different trajectories, and that's what's really <laughs> funny, is the fact that this is a film that continues to mutate and evolve into various media format because everything is there the recipe yeah. for longe- longevity is right there you have the practical effects that will that are still to this day some of the best let me ask how do you pronounce his name there adrian botine okay i also go with botine because i think uh, poutine yeah because he's canadian when when i hosted this several years ago it was one of those that i wanted to make sure and went on to youtube and found uh, somebody pronouncing his name wrong and him correcting them. And I was like, okay, I'm going to say Boutine because that's how he's pronounced. Of course, this was like a 1986 interview, so I don't I don't know, but I'm going off of what the man said when he corrected the person, 
whether he was making fun of the person or not, I don't know. I It's just straight from the guy's mouth. That's why I go for it. Well, and it's really funny. We had a chance to watch The Howling, the Ooh. 4K restoration for the first time, and I did include some stuff with Rob Bottin in the pre-show, but the joke is, since he's kind of reclusive for the most part, yeah. his early days, I think Genius, didn't you say it looks like he, we caught him mid-transformation? Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's turning into a wolf himself. He's got some long flowing hair, and he's just got this out-of-control beard. That 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 was one of the the necessary things that you had to do to be in in creature effects. effects in the eighties. Being transformation yourself, you, you see like any of those people who were who were huge, and you yeah. could easily say that that's the reason why Nicotero's had his look for as long as no, he had. No, here here's <laughs> why Nicotero. He he got one night on the full moon. He got bit by George Romero, <laughs> and so now he's torn and turning into a rare Romero because the the night on the moors when the moon is full, his glass. Asses get bigger. His hair gets shorter. He he starts to hunch a little down. But I'm I mean, gonna he... make a zombie movie, and it's gonna be in Pittsburgh. He's turning into a wear Romero. But I talk, talking about the special effects, which of course you you have to talk about the special effects when you're talking about the thing. Is uh, the thing is one of those movies that almost gets better with each new advancement we have. In film, because it's it's a movie that I've seen so many times, but seeing it on 4K, just having being able to see all the finite little detail that whatever the next version, if it's 8K or whatever, <laughs> I'll be excited for when they remaster it again. Because literally, that's a film that that seeing it on a big, beautiful 4K, you know, with with all the colors popping and everything, but you're able to see all the different shades. So when they're doing the autopsy. And they're pulling it back and you see the two faces melded together and you're seeing several different shades of purple being in the in the mm-hmm. face. You're like, mm-hmm. that's that's what's what's bringing you in. And it's you're watching it. and You're like, oh, I never noticed how many different shades. I never noticed this little you know piece of, of detail that they have on there. And like, that's what what brings it out. And there's so many times when we hit, you know, everybody goes, oh, is it worth it? Is it worth upgrading to something like 4K? And that not every movie is going to do it, but the thing is one of those because of how much work they put in to all the special effects, all the makeup that just watching and be able to to luxuriate in, in this work. And, you know, speaking of that, I'm glad like Carpenter and a lot of those cats are still around to see how much love this movie actually has. Yeah, it is good. But, man, he still does not care. He's like, I don't care about it now. Where were they then? That's true. <laughs> do, do you want to talk about sports and do you want to talk about video games? I will answer yes. questions about that. But if you want to talk about my movies pre this point, <laughs> let's not do it. You know, and again, I, we were fortunate enough to be able to see him live and to see him smile mm-hmm. and to see him genuinely smile mm-hmm. and look like he was having a good time it was oh we i mean yeah we're, we're, we're talking about uh, you're talking about john carpenter you're talking about special effects you're talking about horror and everything we we have to mention the thing that that everybody loves but always feels like everything else gets talked about and then we push back to the side the score oh. ennio morricone yeah it's doing it's, his best carpenter doing his best carpenter exactly but that score is just so amazing and electric and it informs so many of the scenes because it is a movie that gets really really loud but then when you get to the quieter pieces and the music's what's taking over the deep the cold the pulse exactly Mm -hmm. i mean it's a movie that you end that movie just on silence and not have the music there i think you lose a little bit Mm -hmm. but having that boom 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 
it 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 it, it yeah. sells it because yeah. you mm-hmm. go to that yeah. in uh, the silence uh. of them sitting there, and then it cuts to black, and John Carpenter's thing comes up there, and it's it's a reannouncement, a yeah. dour, ambiguous ending. You've you've been watching. John Carpenter's the thing, yeah, and you don't have that music there, and it, it's just silence. It's completely different. Yeah, it's so everything, every single element of this film, I think, melds together, and it's it's one of those movies that when you find somebody who hasn't seen it, you don't want to be like, I want to force you to see it, but be right. like, here, I will give you my copy because it's one of those you get excited to show people. About. Well, and even uh, we for Carpenter Fest, we did the Apocalypse trilogy, and we started with the thing, and it, it, as we went along, it, more and more people were seeing things for the first time because of more people had seen it. But I think, yeah. was it 50% maybe? Mm-hmm. Seeing it for the, again, people are still discovering this movie and there's a reason we're still talking about it 40 years later here. But we could go on a long time <laughs> with the thing here. But only one of these two films that we obviously love here can go to the next round. And we've got two bits of criteria that we're looking at here. And again, we try to stay with the heart and the head. And you know what? We like this. This criteria is just so nice. We do it twice. We are going to ask, which of the two films is closer to your heart? Closer to the heart. Yeah. Hey, the assist. I like that. I like that's how they do it in Rush. (laughs) So we're definitely going to talk about which of the ones have a little bit more nostalgia for you. So that being said, Adrian. No, skip me. You know what my answer on this one's (laughs) going to be, and I feel bad. I I literally feel bad because I do like Basket Case, but... That's like one of the first times in, in Madness. They're just like, listen, I in respect to the other, right. opponent, you know, exactly. So genius. Do we have to do the same thing? I'm gonna have to say the same thing. The thing has always been around. You know, I don't remember if I saw it in the theater. I don't remember if I saw it on home video. But I, it's been there. I think like, it, and you said it follows whether it's Darbridus or whether it's like a big floppy hat or whether it's like that jump scare that continuously gets me every yeah, fucking yeah. time it's there so i gotta go closer to the heart i gotta go to the thing and i only i only came to basket case recent so that being said the thing has been one of those that's been with me through vhs through hbo <laughs> and then again through the dvd and the blu-ray so my vote is going to be the thing as well now that being said from the heart to the head we're going to ask, if you were to remove one of these films from the year of 1982, which one would leave the year poorer? In in theory, in theory, it's a difficult question. Because you have something like Basket Case that at the time, technically for the field that it's in, and you know, gross and everything like that, and, and, and the budget, it's technically a success. And then we're talking about the thing being a, a, a film that bombs, that doesn't do well. But I also look at it from the point of the steam that it's grown through out of the time. You, you can't change what year movies, you know, go, going to be made. And you can't change the legacy that it's going to have. But that legacy ends up being tied to that year. And it's one of those that you say, oh, yeah, 1982 was such a great year. The film that flopped that year was The Thing. And the thing also informs the way that John Carpenter's making movies in the future. So if you don't have the thing come out in 1982 and perform the way it did, you're not going to have the movies that you have come after that, that John Carpenter's making. He's not going to have that mindset of here was the issue that I have with this. This is how I want to go with things moving forward. 
And so I think that's it's a weird way to look at it. But but I, I it's it's John Carpenter. You know, we're we're talking about media and everything. We're talking about John Carpenter. There's people who are giant big name big budget directors that when people are putting on, you know, the, the best directors our highest grossing directors of all time are, are having their names on a list that the majority of their catalog is not in, in the most recent media form that we have out there in 4k. John Carpenter has the thing. He he's got Halloween. He's got the fog. He's, <laughs> he's got, oh, why am I, I, I blank on that. Um, escape from, from, from New, New York. York. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got, there's another one that I'm, that I'm blanking. Cause there's a, what's it called? A studio canal uh-huh. put out a four disc set yeah. of, of John his, Carpenter's, his, of John Carpenter's movies. And then scream factory I know has done individual ones for it, but you, you've got around six, seven movies of John Carpenter's that are available in 4k. And yet you, you, you mentioned like James Cameron. How many movies is James Cameron, who's, right. who's you know considered one of the highest grossing filmmakers of all time? How many does he have on 4K? So it says something about the work that he's made. Oh, they live. Well, they and live definitely Henenlotter wouldn't have a lot of 4K. No, I, but I mean, it's you look at these people who are, you know, it's Spielberg being as big mm-hmm. as he is. He does have some that's out on 4K, but not all of them. And yet John Carpenter, this this master of, of genre work. Has has all these films that are out there, and that I think that says something. And because several of those films are ones that are coming after 1982, it shows that that because of what this film does for him at that time, that that it's a huge piece. That I think taking it away, even if we're considering it a failure at that time, taking it away out of that spot, you maybe don't have these things coming forward. So your vote's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's it's clearly best case. That's what I'm saying. No, yeah, it's it's the thing. That's perfect. Genius. Okay, so I'm kind of not, kind of in the same boat with it. If nobody saw the thing in when it first came out in '82, but a lot of people saw Basket Case to the point where it ran as midnight showings. Yeah. So the, by that rationale, if you take it out of there, it wouldn't do that. But at the same time, if you take away Basket Case, you probably take away Hen and Lauder in general. And a lot of people's favorite movies is one of the Hen and Lauder's film. It's franchises mm-hmm. and everything. However, I think more people, if you take away the thing, you're taking away a lot more people's favorite film. You're taking away not just a movie, but a mood. If you say something, you're like, damn, it's like the thing outside. You know what you're talking about. You know? Yeah. So I think if we take away the thing, that would leave everything poor. So my I mean, let's let, let's let's be honest. If we take away the thing, we're never going to get memoirs of an of an invisible man. No, but we'd also we would never get mouth of madness. And no, we but I think I think it's more important if we talk about memoirs of an invisible man. I think it's more important that we should, we wouldn't have gotten Ghost of Mars. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Now that being said, I kind of think there we go. I kind of took a, a combination of both of you here, because if you do take away the thing. You still have Halloween, which some people say that is the his, greatest. Yeah. yeah, you still have Escape from New York. You've got the fog. You've got Assault on Precinct Thirteen. So we can still make the vanilla twist gag, right? <laughs> <laughs> but as Genius said, if you take away Basket Case, you take away all of Hen and Lauder's catalog. You take away a very important film in independent cinema. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is actually in the Library of Congress. Yes, which is crazy, and I love that that plays now before every screening. Before you get to experience that. Brought to you that. by the Library yeah. of Congress. And I think if you take that away, you still have Carpenter, but you've just vanished like Thanos, you know, Hen and Lauder. So my vote is going to go to Basket Case for that. But you know what? It doesn't matter <laughs> because by a count of five to one, 
uh, assimilating its way into the round of the hateful eight. Man is, is a better place to hide than a basket. <laughs> <laughs> it's also a, a, a better place to to hide not getting negative uh, comments or reviews in the future. And it's the right thing to do and a tasty way to do it. Well, and it's crazy the fact that uh, John Carpenter's influence is felt in our next matchup. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, another one, this is going to be tough here, but we've got <laughs> Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, going up against Creep Show. Adrian, which of the two shall we start with? Let's let's go for for Halloween. It's it's okay. the it's the the, <laughs> the dog or the elephant we need to address in the room. Keeping so. the carpenter uh, tradition. Exactly. Well, and this is one that we actually provided a commentary track for mm-hmm. back when we were still doing that on the main feed. Mm-hmm. We fall firmly in the we love this category. Yes. Oh, yeah. yes. We also admit back in the day <laughs> we both were like man boo this movie not as enlightened doesn't have michael myers in it yeah adrian do you remember your initial interaction i don't I, I out of because of the esteem or word of mouth that you have with certain movies you kind of push them back for a period of time and i think for a long time that's how it was with the halloween series is that because it didn't have michael myers you had people who who would jump, jump boo so I, I want to say that it was something that I came, of course, you know, we're, we're talking 2022 right now. And so I think when I saw the movie for the first time was probably like 2003, 2004, which is still around 20 years ago yeah. at this point. Know, but is- but it was still it was I remember that I was in, in college and I had uh, rented it from a video store in Chicago because I was like, I've put this movie off for too long. I I love the series. I, I'm able to accept stuff like four, five, and six and enjoy those. I, I, what, what is it that's been pushing me back from from this movie? And I think that depending upon what your age is or or where you're coming from, um, the the Halloween series is is how you're going to enjoy Halloween three. Because I think if you're coming in knowing, oh, this is the one people don't like. This is the one that doesn't have him. You know, it doesn't have these people in, involved, yada, yada, yada. That's the wrong way to come come at it. While it does have Halloween 3 before it, you don't need to look at it that way. You need to look at it from, this is a movie in the early 80s that has Tom Atkins in it. <laughs> that, that's, a, that's a very weird, you know, kind of mystery story. More importantly, it has Tom Atkins' mustache. Yes, right. yes, yes. Drinking and carousing and like talking about Catton drinking and, and carousing. And being a doctor, but also somehow acting like a detective mm-hmm. for, for part of it. I mean, there's so many things about this movie that don't make <laughs> sense. Dr. Dan, man. And it's Tom Atkins. It, th- that shouldn't work, but because of the fact that it is a genre film. Robots and magic. Get that you're like, okay. I would enjoy it. Slightly off topic here, but it was, uh, I know that will be a, a month after the release, but recently they had the Uncharted film mm-hmm. come out. And I saw it and I was kind of middle on the road, you know, some gorgeous set pieces and stuff, you know, Tom Holland's fun. But then there's lots of stuff that didn't really work with it. And it just felt very middle of the road. Didn't need robots and magic. Well, it, but it wasn't just that. Because when, when I was thinking about it and when I was writing about it, I was like, okay. Much like people get sometimes when it comes to to the realm of horror, video game, the video game genre is something that's kind of looked at in a weird place. And I was like, everyone's like, oh, how faithful, how adapt or, you know, when it comes to the adaptation, how faithful is it? You know, how close is that? And I realized I'm at a point that I don't really care Mm -hmm. about that for some of them. If you're going basic, no, I, I don't want that. I want the Street Fighter, the movie. 
I want the Super Mario Brothers. I even want the the Street Fighter, the Legend of of Chun Li, where where you get <laughs> get Chris Klein doing his gnash out and doing his crazy jump when the bomb's going off. I want something that's going to embrace being weird and saying people are coming at this expecting one thing. We might have people come see the movie just because of the name that's attached to it. Let's do something weird and fun with it. And I think that that's what always brings me back to Halloween Three, is that it's it's weird but it's fun. You you enjoy that weirdness. It's so easy to to decry or say negative things about how weird and bug nuts it gets, but that's what brings me back. Right. That, that's why I enjoy watching it. It's a it's fucking like, wonderful weird movie. It's robots just, you, and magic yeah. and shit. And, and it's a movie that I like putting some distance between each time that I watch it because there's things that you forget about. Like, you forget about the first quarter of the film, you know, taking place in regular society. You forget about the gloves, on the killers who are coming and the fact that you have these semi-terminator guys robo cretins right? exactly but you you've got that you forget that they're a part of it and then you're forgetting that they're in the coastal town for like the second half you remember everything when they're inside the sure. the the warehouse and everything but you're forgetting about the fact that they've that they're staying in the in the little hotel and their next door neighbor and everything and it's the best joke on the children <laughs> but you get you get an iconic performance uh, with Carnal Cochran, oh, man. good lord, Tom Atkins, and you got, just I will argue one of Carpenter's better scores. Yes, it is yes. A definitely underrated. Oh yeah, it is just it's digitized, it's different, but it it's works. like the Halloween done by Daft Punk, <laughs> <laughs> but like by Carpenter, it's great. That's that's the one where. Um, Hologram Buck Flowers comes out too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, it would work. It would work. No, but it's such a divisive film yeah, to, this day. to this day. And it's still because of Michael Myers, the lack of Michael yep. Myers. If they would have called it Season, of, season the witch. of the Witch. Yep. Even if they didn't put the Halloween 3, just put Halloween, comma, Season of the Witch or something. Maybe people would not have such a disdain for it. But just to dismiss it because it doesn't have Michael Myers, I think that's kind of false to not even say i'm not gonna watch it because i don't have michael myers i'm like i just, just wanted to tell people just give it a fucking chance give it a chance if you still don't like it cool you know yeah, you've got so no many harm, other no films foul, right? if, I, if i don't have this movie then i can't sit down and have a wonderful double feature of this and and then night of the creeps or you could pair it with eyes of fire actually oh, there you go which actually i watched for the first time recently which or pair it with what we're pairing it with in this one in this yeah. one tom mackin's double feature absolutely absolutely no this one and it's such a Dower ending oh as God. well. Such a wonderful dower ending. <laughs> I've, I've got uh, somebody for for last uh, Halloween sent me a little you know homemade Halloween card and, and inside it they had a couple trading cards and the fright rags trading card that I got inside there was was him him yelling no and mentioning you have to get it off the TV but it's just him with his hand up in the phone Stop to his head. Stop it! Stop it! Stop it! Because it's one of those moments that just sticks with you because you, like yeah, it's uh, so dark and dour because you don't know there's plenty of people who are like well but they took it off certain channels and it's like but not all of them there's still a whole bunch of people whose kids are about to turn into fucking terrariums (laughs) and and the fact the matter is whether you know halloween uh, three or not yeah normies know this because as soon as you start playing a silver shamrock it's in their head three more days till halloween halloween and even better is the fact that this was Oh, drop it, drop it. It's time, kids. 
It's time. Wait for the giveaway. Make sure you're wearing your masks at 9 o'clock. Brought to you by your friends at Silver Shamrock. It's time, kids. It's not time for Nerdoween. That's usually the only time that voice comes out. It's cooked so much into the the consciousness of the horror genre Mm -hmm. that they had to make sure to have it in the most recent Halloween. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, and then the other thing, there's a shot in Halloween 3 that Genius and I both agree is one of just the most beautiful shots in horror. Mm -hmm. And partially because this film was also shot by Dean Cundy. So you have that connective tissue as well. But it's that shot, I think, when they're in like San Diego or California. The are walking and they're elongated. Oh, it's beautiful. It's fantastic. It's beautiful. It screams Halloween. This one definitely is finding an audience. And like you said, if they don't like it, cool. It course corrects into many other ways. But I am upset because it did deprive us from a universe where we have all these different Halloween anthology films. Yeah, exactly. Where we just go, get weird with the you know spirit of Halloween. So, final thoughts on season of the witch? I dig it. I think more people should see it. I think most. I think more people. Again, more people are coming around to it, but we're getting there. We're getting there. So, speaking of anthologies, yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> uh, he's not the best man. In the, oh, yeah, right. Uh, one of our favorite collaborations uh-huh. uh, and that's what I love about this film as well and also kind of a nice connective tissue between these two is they're both Halloween movies mm-hmm. yep. and people forget that about Creepshow but what they don't forget about Creepshow is don't let go Ed hair do this is where I wish you all had some visual components with this do you have it set up there are you trying no no you've got to get to it I know I know it's section 8 he's trying to see if he can put on a pair of those jeans well it's one of my favorite memories is actually seeing this at not the old Glenwood theater but it was when they took the Glenwood to Metcalf South oh yeah they did a screen of a creep show and had uh, George A. Romero was there and Savini was there what it was wonderful it was just random and I ran into um, Eric and and Erica and Zach from Atomic Cotton one of their like first dates I think back in the day so it was just one of the this but this movie like you said Adrian has always been with me it's been through HBO again through VHS through a number do you have that thing there it is. When did this become a what's the score here, genius? <laughs> I gotta do the Ed Harris now. <laughs> I do believe, uh, was it this last Panic Fest for the physical challenge? We had them try the to Harris dance. Harris? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Needless to say, we had to make sure we had some neck braces in attendance. <laughs> but it's little moments like that that keep me coming back to Creep Show. Because the obvious stuff is there, the Savini effects, but it's the stuff like John Harrison's score mm. that also is equally underrated in this one. Professional bumpkin Stephen King doing his best acting chops. Actually, for, he's for the, pretty for good. The, it's sad. It's yeah. sad. It's I was going to say for the for the trivia folks out there, I was able to find out that it was the 2006 Kansas International Film Festival that had the the showing of both Night of the Living Dead. 
and Creep Show 2 that George A. Romero presented with Tom Savini because they also sat in to do to judge part of a uh, an IFC horror competition. Oh, that's cool. Again, wow. yeah. and you were there. <laughs> that's that's cool. That's rad, dude. <laughs> that's very cool. Um, and just be glad George Romero didn't bite you. <laughs> oh, God. Actually, at this point, the way I'm, I'm not convinced he didn't because my eyesight's really starting to get bad. <laughs> big glasses. It's... Hey, can we move the show to Pittsburgh? <laughs> Monroeville. <laughs> We're filming live from an abandoned mall. <laughs> uh, I mean, and it also gave us the fact that it was still back in the day when TV stars could still make their way into yeah. mm-hmm. movies, be it Leslie Nielsen and to Danson. You look at this cast to just how stacked it is. Adrian Barbeau, Hal, Hal, Hal Holbrook. It's ridiculous. It's so great with with just the character actors that you have into it and, and that are buying into everything that's going on in the film. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you've got, what is it? Uh, it I can't. His his initials Marshall. E- oh, E. G. Marshall. Oh, e. G. Yeah. Oh boy. The, the fact that you have <laughs> E. G. Marshall right. b- being in this, and he's just it, it's just him, and he's 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 literally putting on a clinic by basically acting by himself. Right. And the fact that you can technically call this a comic book movie. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Oh mm-hmm. god. And it's so it's so well done with the way that it's oh. inserted and added into the mm-hmm. film that it add, it gives it a different dimension not just the the interstitial pieces that you have but then when you're getting in of course the father's day section oh when you're having it framed yes yeah in in the middle of it meanwhile for the as the bedelia is coming back yeah exactly the, the backlighting that kicks in with the red mm-hmm. it's it's beautiful it's gorgeous it's and it's also another movie that people always forget that George A. Romero did. Mm-hmm. Everyone will always go to, and as they should, you to know, to the zombie movies. Absolutely, and this has zombie aspects in it, but there's so much more in it. Oh, and, yeah. and it's fun. This is a blast. It, mm-hmm. Even the Jordy Verrill is fun until it gets sad. But then, because <laughs> he's like, "You won't can't," but then at the very end, you're like, "Oh, it's a." It's a crown jewel of a subgenre of films. Well, and it's really funny. Uh, Halloween three would definitely be Stephen King approved. Mm-hmm. But Creepshow technically is beyond Stephen King approved because he's in it. Yeah, but do we have any? We don't kill any kids though in, in Creepshow though. That's true. Yeah, no. so a very interesting. Well, the kids contrast. are evil though. That's true. That's the fair. kids are evil, so there's evil kids. <laughs> well, of course, anything Stephen King, the kids are going to be evil. Uh, do you remember your initial interactions with this one? There, no, it's like it. It escapes me. It's one of those that actually for years that I've been trying to figure out, like how. This. How was this yeah. film inserted into my life? Where where did it come about? Like I know exactly when I saw the second one because when I was going to school in Chicago, one of the greatest things with, that they had was they had a giant film library. You couldn't take things out of the building. Like they had the little you know barcodes and and everything that would go off if you try to walk with it. But they had a whole bunch of stations that were set up where they would have had a TV and then yep. they would have a VCR. They would have a laser disc. They would have everything that was set up. So whatever you know, type of movie they had, they had a giant catalog. You were able to go up and you could choose which movie it was. So like that's how I originally saw the the first uh, Tetsuo, the, the Iron Man. At was cool. Was because they they, they had it in the film library that you were able to to go and and choose it. You could only have you know two films at a time, but because you're gonna have to sit there for a long time. Mm-hmm. But it, that was one of those that I was like, oh, Creep Show two. I haven't seen Creep Show two, and sat down and did it. So I know that I saw. Creep show the original sometime before that but I don't I don't remember but it's <coughs> it, it's it's such a fun movie because 
it, it, it bridges so many gaps. You've, you've got the Romero aspect. You've got the actors aspects. You've got Stephen King. And yet it still feels, for being made in the 80s, it still feels like it's a throwback. Mm-hmm. Like it feels like yeah. it's got the connective tissue, not just to the comic books, but also to to like the Hammer Horror films, you know, and like the Amicus The films. revenge films. Like, like, the yeah, classic, those... classic people talking classy things. Exactly. You know, the the, uh, the, the older, you know, uh, terror films that you have, the, the older anthologies, it felt like it felt very akin to that. Well, it's, it's a reminder that Romero and King, if nothing else, were fanboys. Oh, yeah. they What they love, they love, and they're going to wear the influences on the sleeve, and thankfully... Yeah. They put it through such a filter that it's just in it. It's an anthology film, and yeah. it's one of those anthology films that people kind of hold as one of the gold standards of the of the genre. And, I am included in that camp, and of course, you know, years years later, when it comes afterwards, you have people kind of fitting it into the camp of like tales from from the crypt when they're doing that but the one that comes to like my mind is that in a way they kind of feel slightly similar to like the outer limits episodes that that he would have that would always be like we're we're not going to sometimes we'll go as dark as uh the twilight zone but then there's the weird kind of kitschiness to it which is always something that that i love about uh creep show is is that 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 kitsch factor that you have to it and i love the old school aspect of like the old terror comics mm-hmm. you know the the and the fact that they they nailed the feel of it the EC you know, comics, like, yeah. cr- almost like a tales of the cryptian and yeah, yeah like the ec comics as well especially them and like it does so it's done so well. Well, and it's a melding of it was it Bernie Wrightson mm-hmm. that illustrated in the mm-hmm. comic. Uh-huh. And I mean, Jesus God, he that man did more with just, you know, little black and shading in there is incredible. But then to bring that to life on the screen, it's a nice again, a nice collaboration. And but, the music, it's mirthful oh yeah. and oh, scary. It balances so the good. music <laughs> balances with the movie tone perfectly because the movie itself, no matter how violent and and mean spirited it gets, it's still a fun movie. It's you're still enjoying it being scared. I think it even said the most fun you'll have being scared. Scaring, yeah. Was and the it, tagline. And it's true. It it builds so much with the cinematography too. With the way that they're filming everything with the colors that you pop. Because uh, I can't Someone, somebody might come after me for this, but I, I can't think of, of many more films that are done in this style that allow themselves to be turned into merchandise better. Because you always have, because it's, it's so easy to take images from this movie and turn them into posters, to turn them into cover art, mm-hmm. to turn them into shirts, to turn them into stickers. And you don't have to do anything to alter it. There's so many, you know, other ones when people are making posters or doing whatever. They're like, oh, we use the film as inspiration. Then we gave it this. You don't have to do that with Creepshow. You can just take a whole bunch of images from it and turn it into it because of the way that they've used the colors and the framing of it. Oh, the the I want my cake and coming out with the silver platter. I mean, that's been emblazoned. But the fact that, you know, when he's coming through the door, you've got the colors, mm-hmm. you know, from the kitchen Popping that are right the back, there. Yep. That That's all you do is that you can easily. The stark red and blue. Psh, yeah. you, you just take it. You're watching it, you know, on a, on a giant, you know, computer monitor or something. And you're just taking a giant save the image and have that be your background. And you're not you don't have to change it at all. Well, just because it was so well done. This was shot by Michael Gornick who was the director of Creepshow 2. Yeah. So there's definitely, and I love how they usually kept it within the family mm-hmm. within those particular productions. And again, a number of people also say that 
the less said about creep show three the better <laughs> and go more towards um, the uh, modern creep show yeah, yeah. tales from the from the dark side the mm-hmm. movie no i agree no i creep show is just one that I think for all of us, it's definitely near and dear. Now, that being said, as much <laughs> as with both of these films, only one can make its way into the round of The Hateful Eight. So let's ask here, Adrian, which oh, of the two, man. Halloween 3 or Creepshow, is closer to your heart? Um, As much as I love Halloween 3, I think I might have to say Creepshow. Just because, like I said, bridging bridging that gap, that, that Creepshow has that. You know, it, it melds older from from years past with you know when it was made and that there's something that's just special about the concoction that that it creates and that that's why i go to it you can enjoy it you know when you're younger as a kid i mean it does have you know it's some some scary parts but it feels like something that people of all ages can can sit down and watch and, and enjoy and you're going to pull something from it because it's it's got the anthology factor you know the 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 famous Maybe you won't like one story, but wait five minutes. Exactly. And it's it's so well done that it it just like the thing it that it latches on to you and it takes hold and, and creep show kind of becomes a part of your life. So I think it's it's closer to the heart for me for that. Genius. As much as that cool cover art from Halloween three <laughs> enticed me and and fueled my imagination and just makes me feel it's the spirit of Halloween. Something about creep show. I mean, I, and I know, again, like I said earlier, I came to the game late because I started with Creepshow 2 in the theater first. But, man, <laughs> if Creepshow is not one of the best horror anthologies of all time, and I love horror anthologies, I think Creepshow set the bar for all anthologies after that. Mm-hmm. And so for that alone, close to the heart, I got to have to go Creepshow. I mean, Halloween three is dope. I mean, and it, and it makes me it makes me yearn for the potential anthology mm-hmm. they have. But meanwhile, you have a perfect anthology already here. So creep show. Well, and I would almost feel like a poser if I went with Halloween three and said I was there from the get go because I was charlatan, yeah, shenanigans. But no. I was a latecomer to it, but admittedly, the baggage I brought was all that knowledge of why I had avoided it for so long and Mm -hmm. eventually fell in love with it that first time viewing. Mm -hmm. But Creepshow, man, like you said, it's just been one of those that has just been there. And all the way from home viewings on HBO in Stanley, Kansas, to it being, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but I was at Disneyland, uh, Disney World down in Florida, was on the tram from the hotel to Disney World the creep show theme came over the tram music <laughs> and I looked around and I was like looking for verica- verification from someone going, this is the creep show theme, right? Everyone giving me like blank looks and everything. But based on that alone, at least you didn't turn around and see the creep there. And he started talking to you. Like, you driving know what the tram? you need to do. Yeah. <laughs> Let's turn that frown upside down. The, and then the, they the, just do something crazy. The, the one person who's in the back of the tram, who's looking at Greg nodding is Tom Atkins. It turns out. <laughs> Passes him a beer. I'd take a drink to that. I'd take a drink to that. So, yeah. So, my vote also goes to Creep Show. Now, from the heart to the head, we again are going to ask, if you were to remove one of these films from the year of 1982, which film would leave the year poorer? It comes down to the fact that we keep on mentioning two things with these movies, with Creep Show being such a well-done anthology film, and that 
we lament the fact that Halloween 3's non-success did not give us a, a Halloween anthology in the future. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what makes Creepshow more important because it, it succeeds, you know? It succeeds, it gets a sequel, but but it also is a great in, encapsulation uh, of what you were able to do that year and with the variety, with, with mixing the horror, the special effects, mixing the comedy in there, uh, having the, the great meeting of the minds when it comes to, to Romero and yeah. Stephen King, making something that they want to be, you know, a love letter to, to things that they enjoyed. And then you have all these great character actors that while their careers aren't going to be damaged by not having them, it becomes an entry point later on to get people, you know, to watch it and, and stuff like that. I mean, you, you had Ted Danson has been all over the place the last handful of years when <laughs> yep. it comes to, you know, being on TV shows and stuff like that. And so you've got a new generation of people who, who love the good place and stuff and, and be like, oh, did you, you know, have you ever seen Ted, Ted Danson yeah. in an early horror movie? What? Back before like the, the around the cheers years and stuff like that. What? Oh, you like Ed Harris as a serious actor? <laughs> let, let me let me show you this. Uh, do, you, do you like this person? Do you like this? And you have an entry point. Do you like yeah. Stephen King? Oh, did you know that Stephen King basically did a comic book movie back in the day? Did you know that George Romero did a comic book movie anthology? A comic book movie? Oh, man. Exactly. Cha-ching. Right? You, you get people that, that are going to latch onto it and they're going to come to it with that. And, and you've got people who absolutely love it. Where, unfortunately, with... Halloween three, you still have that stigma today. You have people who are who are finding it on their own. But if you tell people you're like, Oh yeah, we, we should totally watch Halloween three, season of the witch, and you're still gonna have people go, Oh, isn't that the one that doesn't have Michael Myers? Isn't that the one that's that's different and not as good? <laughs> and it sucks, but I think that Creep Show is the one that it it has always had a fan base and the fan base continues to grow. And I think that that taking it away from from that year, you're going to be losing something special when it comes to to the horror scene. That's fair. That's fair. No, excellent, excellent, genius. I'm going to say uh, creep show because there's one. There's already a whole bunch of people who think Halloween three shouldn't exist anyway. So if we take that out of the, they're going to make a lot of people happy on that. You know. So and plus, well, are you appealing to the masses? What a sellout! No, not only that. But I mean, I, as much as I love Halloween three, I'm just looking at it logistically because then we would st- we would still have Halloween for the return of Michael Myers. We would still have Halloween five. Yeah. If we take away Creep Show, we're not having Creep Show the revival series, which is dope. We're not having probably anthology movies if the creep show didn't succeed and we would not have creep show two (laughs) and without creep show two the world would be a sadder place indeed (laughs) i'm not gonna lie one of my favorite memories from last year is to get in a theater full of people to say thanks for the ride genius (laughs) (laughs) that was nice that was nice oh well here's here's the thing i am actually gonna say halloween three now, the reason I mention that is because, yes, if you do take away Creepshow, yes, you take away that moment, which sucks. Yes, you might take away some of the progress of the horror anthology, but it will always come around regardless. We've got, here in a few years, we've got a battle of anthologies, you mm-hmm. know, that are, you know, from the, the new <laughs> rungs. Um, but, you know, you don't take away Martin. Again, another quirky Romero film that people, oh, Romero did that. Uh, You don't take away uh, the dark half as well. But if you take away Halloween 3, you take away such a weird movie, man. That's true. You take away 
just that one that one that I love to watch people react and go, oh, isn't that one without Michael Myers? <laughs> you know, so there's just something to be said about, yeah, you take that away. And, and I'm, I say that with no, uh, no hint of irony as I take a sip of water from my Halloween 2018 glass <laughs> that also says it should not exist, but yet can't help but lay allegiance to because it understands its importance within the franchise. So even with my one vote to Halloween 3... <laughs> Making its way into the round of the Hateful Eight is Creepshow. Uh-oh. Oh, dancing its way, I should say. But, but uh... <laughs> There it is. There it is. There it is. I, I, I do want to, to say for, for Greg that in his impassioned uh, defense of Halloween three that I was really surprised that he didn't bring up, you know, not having that, that movie would potentially mean not having uh, Tommy Lee Wallace do Friday night part kids, Friday night part two. You're not kidding. You're not Friday kidding. Two is dope. Or, or, or it for TV. <sighs> that was McGarris. No, no, that was Wallace. My bad. Yeah, Wallace. My bad. My bad. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. Well, it's tough. It's tough, but you know what? And again, we're Someone's going to be upset out there, oh, but, I don't think the thing going up against Creepshow for the year of 1982 is that's a, a bad way. Well, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Yeah. I, I, again, this is a this is a case where the people who come after I have to apologize to because that's that's uh, a hard match. Depending upon where you fall on it, it's. I think it might come down to a case where it, which one does does somebody hold that literally the closer to the heart yep. Wh- which one is the one that 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 is the overriding factor for that because you could have somebody who who decides that creep show is that one that that everything they're going to do they're going to make sure to give the most impassioned plea oh yeah that's ever been given and if you've listened to any of these mouth of march madness episodes over the last couple of years that you've done how many times has that impassioned speech Ben which sways somebody. <laughs> Again, there's a reason I carry a pin while we do this. <laughs> now, for those of you that do... Good Lord, man. You're going to like, get everybody in trouble. The whole time he's saying, trouble. the whole time he's saying, like, you know, somebody's impassioned, and I'm thinking, like, oh, I really, really little creep show. Uh, that could be it. He's, he's going to start writing his speech <laughs> after this. <laughs> so for if you would like to give Adrian an earful, potentially, out on social media, <laughs> where can they and our next guest find you at there? Uh, find me at Yo Adrian Torres. Really, really simple on Twitter. Um, for the podcast, it's at Horrorversary. Um because of of how many films there are in a couple of the years that we would be looking right now it's it it's trying to finagle when people can start recording but our goal is to have between 10 to 12 episodes by the end of the year cuz it's it's not the amount of episodes that we care about but the guests that that I can manage to get on in the films that, that we're talking about i want to be able to talk about the big films that we need to hit as well as some of the smaller ones that you you know, you're never expecting because that that's one of the key things that I like about the show is that there's some films that you're not thinking about that everybody's got a favorite that's out there. And so when it comes time that something's hitting the 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 anniversary, it could be a smaller film. Um, a favorite story to ever tell about a theatrical experience was that several years ago when we, we had the Alamo still here, we had a suggestion box mm-hmm. for Terror mm-hmm. Tuesday. And there was a film that was coming upon its anniversary. And we decided, uh, you know what? I think it might be fun to to have a screening of Bats. Yep. 
for yeah. for its anniversary yep. and you know for the i think it was like the 20th anniversary 20, or something yep. and we had a snowstorm that occurred and they because of the area they were they had people at work and so they're like okay we're going to stay open so that everybody can can get paid one person showed up for for the bats screening and it was that person's birthday and it was that person who put their name into the box and they said that they went and it was the greatest experience that they had so there's always that film that you're not thinking about that you might be like oh that's a piece of shit that that somebody you know it's it's their favorite film when it comes to an anthology so sometimes we we hit some of those smaller movies that that you're not expecting and that's i'm willing to take the time to find the guest who's like hey i want to do this film i know no one else wants to talk about it but i'm not going to be available for two months i'm going to wait that two months to talk to that person because you want to find out the reason what it is about this film that they love and that's the reason why you'll always have me as a listener because (laughs) i love the the genuine joy that you get out of the listeners we we had we we had trace from from horror queers come on to talk about sorority row Mm. because he loved it so much and they they hadn't been able to find a spot yet of course horror queers did go on to do an episode once he was able to wear joe down but it was just sitting there and like listening to how much he talked about i was like i think even when i was mixed watching it that i'm seeing things even better coming through his eyes that certainly that it just has that power and it's the baggage we bring the baggage, <laughs> baggage we bring so into the uh, we'll be back here in just a moment and uh we'll be getting classy uh with our next podcast uh jeff and rich from the classic horrors podcast again adrian thank you so much again thanks for patience in the background there in the background we'll be back in just a moment don't let go <laughs> All right, we are back, and as we go from the round of the Scream 16 into the round of the Hateful Eight, let's again thank Horrorversaries Adrian Torres, Mm -hmm. and let us also say bye-bye, farewell, and adieu to both Basket Case and Halloween 3. Good night. That's right, kids. Goodbye. (laughs) You don't have to wear your mask for that one. Take your masks off. But... As one door closes, yet another one opens, and it goes without saying, except for one weird year, it's not an Into the Mouth of March Madness tournament without these gentlemen being here with us. Oh, absolutely. And I will just beat it into the ground. I always like to say that they indeed class the podcast up with their presence. Please welcome back to Nightmare Junkhead and Into the Mouth of March Madness. From the Classics Horror Podcast, Richard Chamberlain and Jeff Owens. Hey guys, hello, Good to be back. Welcome Thank back, you for gentlemen. Us back. Of course, of course. It goes without saying, and I think what happened that one particular year, somehow or another, we had I think overbooked or people got back to us that I didn't think would get back to us, and all of a sudden it's like, wait, oh no, we have to shift some things around here. And so my forever apologies with that. I will, you know, pour out so many libations for you guys. You know, even the best of the best got uh, shoved to the side on the Tonight Show once in a while. So, At least it wasn't for Yakov Shmirnov, so you're right. okay on that side. This is true. This is true. 
Let's bring a little classic uh, mood to this. You, you said one door closes, another opens. How about a creaky door slowly opens? Let's embellish it a little. Welcome. <laughs> that's, hey, that's not bad. You would make a hell of a horror host, genius. Awesome. One of these days, I'm going to be all cremation mortemed out. Well, uh, if you wouldn't mind, tell our listeners where they can find you out on social media. Please, as always, plug and promote away. Well, I'll start it off. Um, I, you can find me at kccinephile.com and uh, monstermoviekid.wordpress.com. Anything horror or sci-fi related, you will find on Monster Movie Kid. And then everything that I cover is over at Kansas City uh, Cinephile. Uh, case in point, last summer, my wife Carla and I covered the uh, feature films of Harold Lloyd going back to a classic silent comedian. So uh, this year we're doing uh, the Flash Gordon chapter serials for our summer series. We started this a few years ago and we've kind of, we've done a lot of comedy. We've done Marx Brothers and Laurel and Hardy. And this year we decided to do Flash Gordon. So we'll start that at the end of May. So uh, yeah, anything I write that case and that other case in point in the month of March, I am talking about uh, a forgotten director by the name of Alice Guy Blachet. She was a silent film director from the very, very early 1900s. Um, I saw a fantastic documentary on her. Um, she has been virtually forgotten by a lot of today's, um, you know, her contemporaries from today. And she's being rediscovered. She did a lot of uh, silent films in the early 1900s. Um, and then just kind of, she stopped making films and then she just disappeared. And then within a decade, wasn't even being recognized for what she had done 10 years earlier. So uh, in the month of March, I'm going to be doing an article on her for my blog and uh, reviewing three of her movies. So now the, that's where you can find me. The Flash Gordon stuff. Is that the Buster Crab version? Yeah, yeah. We're doing, yeah, chapter serials. We're going to cover all three that he did. Uh, Flash Gordon, Flash Gordon, uh, Trip to Mars, and then Flash Gordon Conquers the Universe. And we're going to do so many chapters a week to time it out to where we'll uh, kind of do one chapter serial a month over like June, July, and August. So, Well, and I also love the fact that you are bringing attention to an artist that really deserves some recognition. Mm -hmm. And we often mentioned before, you know, when you get something up on film, that lasts. That's a legacy. And, you know, she might not be with us, but we're still recognizing her work. So kudos to you, good sir, on that side. You know, it's an amazing documentary. I, I'm drawing a blank on the name or I would share it, but it's it's uh, it's out there. Alice Guy Blachet, which is actually looks like Alice Guy and then B-L-A-C-H-E. Um, definitely recommend anyone check her out if you're interested in something non or related. Um, she uh, even like her family, you know, her she has very few family members left. And in the documentary, like one of her last relatives basically has a storage shed full of stuff that nobody in the family wants. And they handed it over to the director of the documentary and said, take it. No one else wants it. Um, her legacy is just kind of sitting there in a in a shed in Arizona. So um, but the documentary does a really good job of, of talking about who she is and, and getting the word out. So. Uh, that's the kind of fun stuff that I do that's not horror related. So. 
Nothing so highbrow at classichorrors.club where I write, and that's where you can find the podcast. Uh, you can find it also, we have a YouTube channel. We have a, a video companion that goes with the audio podcast. And uh, we have a Facebook group page, the Classic Horrors Club podcast, that uh, has a lot of conversation. Everything can be found from both of our sites and everything probably linked through that Facebook page, I would say, is the best place. And... I'm very proud of myself. Uh, since the last time we've talked, I've continued my exploration of new films to me, and I've continued my exploration of classic horrors. Very diligently. Very, well, I, I'm very diligently. Very much so. I am, there have been times when probably with, when Genius is like, hey, can we hang out? I'm like, no, i got to watch a new movie, man. You know, it's content. But I recently watched for the first time uh, Night of the Hunter, which exceeded my expectations with Mitchum with Mitchum because I always knew it for that scene when he goes up after the the kids and the stairs I didn't realize that that scene occurs like halfway through the film I figured that would be at the end how we still got the whole river to go down you know at that point but that image of the woman underwater oh my god just so effective and chilling but the one I'm pretty particularly proud as I recently had a chance to see uh, Alita the Queen of Mars for the first time, a silent film. I will tell you, you're one up on me. I've never seen that, actually. it's I've been aware of it, uh, and I've never actually sat down to watch it. So well, would I, you recommend it? Yeah, well, I watched it uh, through Stray Cat Theater. They're this really eclectic, eccentric theater here in Kansas City, and they they screened it with a live score, and it was these two individuals that were doing electronic, you know, beep bops and layers. It was really cool. It just added to it. So I would check it out. It's definitely well worth your time. But is that that new theater down by Kaufman? Yes. Yes. It's okay. It's, I it's, just found out about that a few weeks ago. That sounds really interesting. Here on Monday, I'm going to be watching Django for the first time. Uh, they're going to have a 16 millimeter screening of The Driver. So Bruce wow. Dern on 16 millimeter. I'm all in. I am all in. So, yeah, needless to say, there's some good stuff going on. So, that being said, uh, we are looking at two films from the year of 1982. And for the most part, I think primarily, we usually would have you guys on during the round of the the Mm -hmm. Scream 16. Well, the Scream 16, Mm -hmm. and also usually the 70s. But we also wanted to make sure as we transferred into the early 80s. But here in the round of the Hateful Eight... You know, things are are going mad at this point. Yeah. And but I, I bef- feel a great burden with uh, the <laughs> Sophie's choice of films. We have. Definitely. Tough yes. decisions. Tough decisions lie ahead. Well, before, and again, we apologize. Yeah. Well, uh, b- before we get there proper, what I wanted to do is we primarily always want to look back at some of the stuff that happened in 1982 when you all come in or at least what was going on during that year. And I think from the get-go, we have talked about how many people consider 1982 just a banner year in genre, just in terms of you know the movies that are produced, the uh, films made by particular filmmakers and actors. So I'm going to throw it out to you all. What are what is your favorite or a favorite 1982 non-horror film? Star Trek II: Wrath of Khan. Without hesitation. I had that until I looked at another list and realized that E.T. came out in 1982. <laughs> so I wouldn't be, you know, a, a full-blooded American if I didn't vote for E.T. 
true story. I have well, not watched E.T. since I saw it in the theater, and I bawled my eyes out in the theater, and I'm afraid to go back to it. I just rewatched E.T. Uh, sometime in the last two years. Um, I had one of those really nice, big collector's box sets that came out on DVD that has a book and soundtrack and film, and I never actually watched it after I bought it. And so I, I did make sure to watch the non- CGI version. So, you know, my film was complete with guns and, uh, <laughs> you know, I was, I obviously I, I'm scarred for life, but, um, <laughs> Rathacon for me, you know, cause I'm a lifelong Trekkie. So, um, I love ET though. I mean, that's a classic, the, this, the music, the soundtrack is just absolutely stunning, but I don't care, you know, if Rathacon's on TV, I'm I'm sitting and, and watching the rest of it. So even though I've seen it a gazillion times. If I may very quickly give a couple of honorable mentions, a, a couple shout outs that you probably don't find on, you know, the best of 82. The pirate movie <laughs> and <laughs> Summer Lovers, two of my all time favorites. <laughs> this is why we bring you on, my friend. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure it is. <laughs> Would never in a million years imagine the pirate movie or summer lovers. Yeah, great movies. And well, and one that's actually going to be playing at Screenland here in the month of March, I believe they're going to be screening uh, Martin Scorsese's After Hours, mm. which I do believe no, came out in '82 as well. So did The King mm. of Comedy. So did ooh ooh two movies that had a different effect on you, uh, Grease Two, <laughs> yeah, and The Dark Crystal. Oh. I'm still reeling from the dark crystal and the sucking of the life force from the Gelflings. It's frightening. It's frightening. Well, obviously, 1992 had a wealth of riches, but here in the uh, in the world of horror, but there's only two of the biggest baddest in horror. And uh, my goodness, I mean, we've got two films that a lot of people will argue might be the best films from 1982. Uh, I will hear the argument that these might be some of the best films from the 1980s in horror, regardless. But we've got John Carpenter's The Thing going up against George A. Romero's Creep Show. So, Jeff, Richard, which one should we start with first? I will well, defer to, to Jeff. I'll let him <laughs> Well, I feel like there's an obvious choice, and I tried to kind of study up and be contrary, you know, and I, I rewatched them both, and I just, I can't do it. You know, I have a clear favorite. Um, but why don't we talk about Creep Show first? Let's let's dive in. It's the most fun you're going to have being scared. So, first question to both of you: By any chance, did you happen to catch that one theatrically? I did. <sighs> yeah, that's so I, bad. Uh, I have a a very nostalgic connection to this movie. Um, went to a Saturday afternoon matinee with my dad. Uh, to see this. My, my dad loved horror movies, and he and I would watch Creature Feature with Cremation Mortem every Saturday <laughs> night. That was like, you know, regular viewing for us all the way up until I graduated from high school and moved out of the house. Um, so, Creep Show, I couldn't see R rated movies in 1982. I was in eighth grade and my freshman year of high school in that year. And my mom and dad did shelter me because R-rated movies were bad and I'd get corrupted. And so, you know, now I did, I should say, I didn't see them in a theater. We had HBO and I had a black and white 
TV in my bedroom with cable and all you had to do was turn the dial just a little bit and the little scrambling would go away. So that is how I watched like all of the Friday the 13th movies, anything that was, you know, R rated and, you know, if it was horror, you know, I, I knew at what point the boobs were flashing on the screen. Um, if it was a teenage sex comedy, I knew that at 42 minutes and 33 seconds, something good was going to happen. Um, but in the theaters, I couldn't see it until I, I turned 17 because I was a good little Catholic boy. So creep show Saturday afternoon with my dad. Um, I wanted to see it. And, and my dad, he was a little unsure because he doesn't like he didn't like gory stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but he did enjoy creep show. He said it was a lot of fun. I think the the one that that uh, I think it was the opening one, Father's Day. Yeah, that that one <laughs> bothered my dad a little bit. But, uh, I, you know, I very vivid memories of because it was a cool thing, you know, going to uh, a horror movie and an anthology movie and a, a great movie like this on a Saturday afternoon with my dad. Yeah. Very strong connections for me with the creep show. The thing, as I'll, I'll talk about later, but I didn't get to see that until several years later. So creep show definitely meant something to me in 1982. Well, and it's really funny because there's only going to be a certain section of our listening audience that knows the anxiety and fear that comes from when you got in between those channels. Like if someone came in Walk and like, in like whoa, yeah. or even even worse if they bumped the TV or something, and you would just shift it just a little, and then you'd lose everything. Or if it's stormy, or if ooh stormy, stormy. And I had rough. the advantage because my room was in the basement, so I could hear Good. the footsteps. Nice coming down and I had just enough and I, HBO was channel 15. Um, and so I think it was, you know, like there was something on channel 16 or 17. So all it took was two little twists and I was on something else. The religious channel. Yes. I was saying the rosary <laughs> mom and dad. I, I was being a good little Catholic boy. Well, Jeff, I don't actually yeah. remember when I saw a uh, creep show. So 82, I was in my second year of college, and I, I would have seen almost anything that came out in the summer, so in a theater. And I kind of, my interests were changing. I maybe wasn't as much into horror. I'd pick up Fangoria every now and then. I remember reading a lot about Creepshow. I mean, that was a big thing. Stephen King, George A. Romero, but I don't, And but it also was a little different than the thing. I, I believe my memory, the thing had a big studio universal release and, you know, was highly publicized. Creepshow was a little more sort of independent. I don't know that it got as wide a release or if it was as heavily advertised. So I don't remember seeing it. I may very well have seen it on HBO, looking forward to it eagerly, but not really getting to see it in a theater. Um, it would have been, and if it did get a release, it would have been in Fulton, Missouri or Columbia, Missouri, where I was. And I don't know that that would have been one that they would have played with the number of theaters they had. See, you, that's interesting because I saw this at the Fox Theater in Newton, Kansas. The only theater we had in that town, which Newton is just north of Wichita, small town. They would very rarely play R-rated movies because they wanted the family business. Yeah. You know, it's the only movie in town. So they would typically, you know, PG and then when PG-13 came along. Um, and so if you wanted to see an R-rated movie, it was you had to go to Wichita. 
or maybe the drive-in when it was open might play it, but the drive-in closed uh, driving closed before I got to high school. So I'm not even sure it was open in 1982. So you had to drive, you know, 30, 45 minutes into Wichita to see, to see the TNA and the good stuff mm. and the gory stuff. Just like That's why it, I think I don't saw, I didn't see creep show in a theater because the same year the beast within came out and it was at the drive-in. And I remember distinctly going to the drive-in to see that movie. I can remember that. I can't remember creep show, so I probably didn't see it at the time. <laughs> Here's the the Beast Within is, and I've seen that because I know that's the one that the Tom Holland. No, it's uh, Tom Holland wrote it, and it's like a mutation thing that is coming out of the kid, and it's got those scary, spooky special effects that you're not prepared for. Oh, one of those movies. It's one of those movies. I've got sweet. The, the the poster is actually up in the basement. But I love the fact that you got to see that one, though, in the theater. Now, that being said, uh, in terms of when we got to the advent of like VHS and regular cable rotations, did you find yourself going back to Creepshow at all? I did, for sure. I did, yeah. I, I own it on uh, DVD. I, don't have, I haven't upgraded to Blu-ray because I'm fine with the DVD. It gets regular viewings for me you know over the years i i've seen and sometimes you buy a dvd you watch it once and you know you're happy with it but you know going back and rewatching it because there's always something new to watch creep show is one that i will go back to periodically i love a good anthology mm-hmm. um and it and a lot yeah, aside from the 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 gorier aspect i mean it does really have a feel of for me anyway, of a lot of those early 1970s amicus anthology movies, mm-hmm. um, a little different, you know, but kind of the same feel to, you know, a good anthology movie will always get me. Uh, and then of course, you know, when you've got uh, Stephen King uh, writing the, the the screenplay and you've got George Romero directing um, and just, I think also the big selling point for me is the comic book, you know, it's a comic yeah. book and you're reading so being a big comic book nerd, that honestly was probably what pulled me into the movie. Um, interestingly enough, I did not own the comic book that came out, the adaptation, until uh, about two years ago. I never nice. had a copy of it. All my thousands of comics, and I, I realized that a couple of years, and it went out of print for a long time. And yeah. so as soon as it came back into print, I snatched it up. And so it, it is part of my collection now. So that was the connection for me was the comic book aspect of it. Yeah, I love the way it tries to create that with like the panels and mm-hmm. the, the things. In a good anthology, I really like the wraparound story, you know. And I forgot watching it this time, it had been a while that, uh, I, I mean, it is a wraparound. But I, I kind of forgot that even until the end when, oh, they're going to tie this back together. And I love that sort of twist ending. That was really fun. Uh, to be honest, I think some of the it's a well i don't want to pick on it but it's a full two-hour movie and i think some of the segments seem a little bit long and draggy but the thing is it snowballs Mm -hmm. i in my opinion each story gets better and my favorite one is the the last one you know they're creeping up on you and by the time you get there that is so intense for me that i kind of forgot it was a little bit of a slow haul getting there uh and one other thing i want to say the you say you haven't upgraded to Blu-ray. I haven't either, Rich, but I seem to only watch Blu-rays these days. I watched my DVD of Creepshow, and the quality is not that great. I think that that is one that should get 
an upgrade. I definitely want to upgrade it to Blu-ray. I, I forget, just first of all, DVD, you know, that used to be the best quality we had. And there is, in some movies, quite a distinct difference. Mm -hmm. And even this seemed like a bad transfer because the, the screen sometimes was a little jumpy. There were some little hairs on, you know, it, it wasn't a clear, um, of course. Yeah, if, this, if the Blu-ray if the Blu-ray actually has remastered it and actually taken, because of course a lot of Blu-rays are just, you know, they're, right. they go through whatever upgrade and then they, they get slapped out and they really don't go through a restoration. So that's always a thing I used to do the blind buy on Blu-rays, but I've gotten really picky because I think a lot of the ones they, they crank out really don't, they're not really remastered. They're just, you know, a slightly better picture than, than the, uh, the DVD. So I don't, I don't know about creep show though. I don't know it's who great. did the Blu-ray for it. There's a um, scream factory put one out actually. Yeah. I it, think. The colors just pop on the screen. Factory. Yeah, screen factory would do a good job. Yeah. Yeah. yeah because I, I, got, I may need to look into that. I may need to upgrade before my next viewing so I can uh, appreciate the, the better picture. Yeah. There's a four K. Somebody we were talking about these two movies and what a difficult choice it was. And, he was like, well, there's no choice. Creepshow has Adrian Barbeau. <laughs> you can call her Billy. You can, and it's got Ed Harris. It's got a lot of people. That's the and question. Adrian Barbeau. Can you and do Adrian the Barbeau. Ed Harris dance? There's the Ed Lover dance. Oh. We need the Ed Harris dance. I'd have to study. That was something. He has this all the time. <laughs> it's just <laughs> from from the last round into this one, man. He has just been doing his thing and the doing the little head thing, the head wave. Yeah. <laughs> Don't let go. Here's my question: What is your stance on Stephen King's performance as Jody Verrill? Professional bumpkin, Stephen King. <laughs> um, I think you know, it's fine. I mean. Yeah. Under the situation, you can expect that it's certainly not a great acting job. Um, it's a little over the top, but it's, it's tongue okay. in cheek, yeah. I think. Yeah, it's tongue in cheek. I mean, I, I don't, that's the thing with Creep Show. It's like nothing is really like, it's not straightforward, serious horror, right? It's, it's, you know, there, there's, there's humor to it. Mm -hmm. um, kind of like a, a night gallery episode, you know, a lot of night gallery episodes, you know, some were scary. But some definitely were tongue in cheek, and uh, Stephen King, not a serious Shakespearean actor, he's not going to get any awards for his thespian skills. But you know, as a bumpkin, he did a pretty good job. Here's the thing about Stephen King's bumpkinness, right? No, he is not going to win any Academy Awards anytime soon. But God damn it, if I didn't feel for Jordy Verrill at the end of that mm -hmm. at the end of that story, yeah. you know, as goofy as little Google, it's that Verrill luck and it's B A D at the very end when he's like, "Please God, let my luck change." Oh. It just like, yeah, it it still hurts, you know, because here's this lovable yeah. bumpkin who has to basically off himself to stop from being in pain and growing into a in a fern. <laughs> Yeah, you do feel sorry for him at the end. Yeah. Yeah, and actually to address the longevity of the of the movie, we actually did this this closed our third Nerdoween horror marathon and it 
it played like gangbusters because it was the year that Romero had passed. Mm-hmm. But even closing out even a three film marathon, it felt a little bit long. And you could tell there were periods where people were struggling a little. But then again, it's an anthology. You just wait five minutes and you got a new story. And, and then, you're usually- as yeah. funny as it, it gets in the humor, I mean, not it's not hilarious by any means, but there is definitely like levity and fun. But it's always fun and weird to see a comedic actor like Leslie Nielsen play so like devious, you know, because yeah, he did a lot of movies back before the naked gun, but in my mind in context, he's always Lieutenant Frank Drebin. So I was waiting for him to drive to the beach with Ted Danson. Do 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 no, we see the dour side of Frank Drebin. The and mean, yeah. vindictive side of Frank Drebin. And this is the why I love that you get someone like Leslie Nielsen doing something completely different than what he is accustomed to. Mm-hmm. And it's just that nice little reminder of, oh, yeah, he could do so much more than he was actually given to do. Now, here's the real question for both of you. What are your thoughts on the sequel? Creepshow 2 is okay. Not as good, but... You know, it's, it's, uh, it's, I, you know, I haven't seen Creep Show 3. Don't. I have no desire to see Creep Show 3. Yeah, yeah. you're good. Um, Creep Show, the series on Shutter, I've seen all the episodes and it's fairly uneven. I mean, there's, as with any anthology series, there's good segments and bad. Um, there's very few that really knock it out of the park. But there's there's some that have been really good. I think it was they the animated one they did during the pandemic with the guy yeah. that crash lands on the on the island. That's probably one of their best segments, I think. That was pretty good. Um yeah, Creep Show 2 is okay. I mean, it's you know, Chief Woodenhead. Uh I'm trying to think of the other segments in that one. The The Raft the, and then yeah, the, the Hitchhiker. One I remember is the Raft. Raft. And thanks for the and ride. Thanks for the ride, lady. Thanks for the ride. Yeah, uh, it didn't. It was lacking something. It didn't have the charm that the first movie, first movie did. Just, it didn't um, have the production values of the. I mean, no. Yeah, that's it's really didn't. And I'm trying to remember the cast, and I don't think it really had some of the standout cast members like this one did. It's got Colt Malcony, or how do you pronounce his name? Colt Malcony. Malcony, Malcony, maybe Malcony. It's he's that guy from a number of shows, um, uh, Mine Hunters. But he's the guy with the long flowing hair. It's gonna get him paid and laid. He yeah. shows up in so many other movies now. A lot of Fincher work, actually. And it's got George Kennedy and Dorothy Lamour, and Tom George Bright Kennedy. as the hitchhiker, and Dorothy Savini, Lamour, yeah. and, and Savini playing the creep. Yeah, which I think that was. Pre- by the way, yeah, I should say at this point, I still Fluffy still freaks me out to this day, and the dispatching of Billy still is bothersome for me occasionally. Fluffy is ah. a great creation. Fluffy oh, is a great yeah. iconic monster, and just a, just a great representation of practical effects, practical yep. creature effects in the eighties. Because like if you've seen Creep Show and you see Fluffy, you know. Or if you've seen Creep Show, you're really wary of old crates. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, uh, let me throw a question out to you. So we have five segments in this movie. To make it shorter, which one of the five segments would you axe? Ooh, that's tough. See, I think I think 
the obvious answer for a lot of people would be the lonesome death of Jodie Verrill because of the fact that it's the one that is the most overtly comedic. However, I'm... It's also mm, the one with the most pathos in it. Though. I know, I know. But, oh my goodness, so we've got... They're creeping up on you, lonesome death, Father's, Father's Day. Day, and... Um, something to tide you over. Something to tide you, you over. over, yeah. Oh, That's the one I would cut. That's the one to me that goes on a little too long and kind of tells one story and then extends on further. I mean, that's the best part. You got to get to that, but um, I would at least edit it if not cut that one. So Jeff excises something to tide you over. Uh, Genius, do you know which one you're going to get rid of? Uh, I might go with the tide over. I mean, I, I because there's already a cool zombie movie, zombie story already in the first one. So another zombie movie, while the practical effects of the water zombies were slick and Ted Danson in a non and uh, Leslie Nielsen in non comedic roles, that's the one I would cut begrudgingly. So you yeah, know, certainly. And let me ask you this: Does anyone know was that? the the piece that he was wearing in this film i wonder i don't i i thought about that it, and i'm it looked real to me but i know well and i never it was took me years to realize on cheers it was a toupee so it was a strong glue too because that was underwater it was underwater. that was some like that's some shit you see on, that's a uh, morty's wig a morty's wig from goodfellas <laughs> that's the kind that has to be stapled on that's a bolt-on that's what that is <laughs> richard what so are you going to be excising I, I would I would go ahead and, and I would edit down tied you over. I, if you yeah. watch again, I'll go back to Night Gallery. You would sometimes get like a, a full story, and then you would get this little like sometimes as short as like thirty seconds, just a little story that was always the tongue in cheek one, right? I think you could cut tied you over down substantially. Like Jeff said, you know, it it, it kind of ends and then it has an extension i think you could make that short and sweet you know catches them kills them and then they come back you know i think you could get it done in five minutes or less it'd be something really really quick and it would help cut down the running time and i would shave a little bit off of father's day um father's day tends to go on a little long although it's a lot of fun I think that you could shave a little off that and it would it would flow better. So I wouldn't cut any. I would just edit two of them down and collectively take maybe, you know, a solid because what's the running time? It's running time is like two hours. It's yeah. I think this would work better at about 90, 95 minutes running time. So I think you could easily cut, you know, say 25 minutes. As long as you're not not let anyone touch Jordy Verrill because that no. actually is my favorite ending of out of all of those because it has sort of an apocalyptic scope and yeah. this is just the beginning this is going to go on and that is I don't know if you call that a twist ending but that was the ending that most left me kind of excited you know yeah it felt in the vein of the EC comics at the time because he was like and yeah. you farmers are going to be happy because everything's going to be green. Well, I'm going to actually copy and paste most of your all's answers, but as long as you don't shave or cut any of the Ed Harris dance moves, Richard, that's the only thing <laughs> that has to stay. That is like a producer's decree. The dancing stays. I agree. Agreed. 
<laughs> so final thoughts on Creep Show before we shapeshift into something different? I think it's just oh. for me it's fun, you know. It's uh it's lighthearted comedy which is always a nice break from the dark and serious stuff and uh it just to me that comic book connection and mm the uh, kind of throwback to the old anthologies from the 60s and 70s from Amicus. Um, I think it's, uh, you know, and, you know, it's it's survived. I know it's like, you know, I mean, because you, you've got sequels and you've got a series on Shudder. So it, it left an impact. And I know that's a question will be asked, but I'll, I'll jump ahead <laughs> a little bit. I'll jump a little bit. But for me, that creep show, the nostalgia connection for me is, is another reason why it holds a special place in my heart. And I think today for me, I'd be more apt to visit segments of it than I would the whole movie. Um, it just, I, yeah, I, I would not watch the whole movie, rewatch it very often. I recommend picking up this, uh, the Scream Factory Blu-ray. It's 4K restoration, um, flooded with extra features. It's definitely well worth your buy if you need to upgrade, which sounds like you do, so definitely can do that. So from the anthology telling stories of Stephen King and George A. Romero... From to, the anthology to the Arctic. To the Arctic, yes. John Carpenter's The Thing, which... The, now, this is sacred territory. You know, Some will say this is the greatest horror film of all time, much less from the 80s, much less 1982. So that being said... How do you want to start with this? Do we want to go back to the first time? Do you guys, you know, was this a theatrical experience? What was uh, backtrack us into the thing? I'll start with it because I think Jeff might have more of a connection to the thing than I do. Um, uh, I don't recall the first time that I saw the thing, but I'm going to say um, I don't remember watching it on on HBO or, or that. So it would have been on probably vhs at some point probably not until maybe the early 90s maybe the mid 90s before i really saw it and i'll be honest i don't think that i really really absorbed it until i got the the dvd uh which i probably got that god 20 years ago now seems like um and maybe 15 years ago but that was when I really sat down and I watched the extras and I really absorbed everything. So I was definitely a latecomer to, to the thing. Now that said, I mean, you know, I remember, you know, always enjoying it, but when I, you know, prior to my, you know, buying the DVD, but once I bought the DVD and really I connected with it then and from rewatching it uh, just a few nights ago, you know, the music and the overall atmosphere just immediately, you know, sucked me in. Uh, and it was probably my most enjoyable uh, experience watching it. I was just, I was in the mindset for it and it just really, really sucked me in. I almost watched the sequel slash prequel kind of back to back. Um, now I've seen that in the theaters and I don't dislike it like some people do, I, you know, it's obviously a remake, but then it's that prequel, spoiler alert, um, you know, but then I, I ultimately I was like, no, because there's no way that it's going to compare to the original. So that movie, I think I'll rewatch again, probably sooner than later, but 
it'll have to be a separate viewing for me because it won't hold a candle to the original. And I actually don't remember specifically seeing it, but I, I know I saw it that summer because it did come out. And this was when, in my mind, John Carpenter was just the king. I mean, he had made my favorite movie of all time, Halloween, still to this day. The Fog, Escape from New York, and then The Thing. I collected movie posters at the time. I had access at a store that sold them at a reasonable price. So I had all of those movie posters. I had the poster for The Thing before I saw the movie. Uh, and I, <laughs> I don't think it had an impact on me at the time. And what I want to ask you all is that's what you hear about the thing is that when it first came out, no one really appreciated it and that it only grew, you know, over the years. I don't remember it being like a flop or anything. Was it? Do you all remember that? It just, it was the critical reception because people were, were not, they wanted E.T. again they didn't want the thing. And so critically, box office-wise, also, it didn't do well. Uh, this is the reason why he ended up going into, like, Christine, because uh, he just needed a job. Christine initially was kind of a job for him because no one would touch him after the thing. So, yeah, it didn't do well, but it was the advent of VHS and cable that it started going in a rotation, and you get enough distance from 1982, and people yeah. go, whoa, whoa. Well, plus, like, in the 80s reviewers were king you know what i'm saying because we yeah, didn't have fever. the internet and we didn't have a lot of word of mouth so if a new movie would come out we would depend on siskel and ebert or rex reed mm -hmm. or um peter travers from rolling stone or anything back in the day of those like specialty things and if everybody's like oh this movie's bullshit then nobody saw it and i remember i remember one time it being on tv on channel five and i was bored out of my mind i was like six right and just like waiting for something to happen you know not getting the atmosphere not getting the mood not mm -hmm. getting anything and just be like i know there's a monster coming when is it coming right but it wasn't until like i could actually appreciate atmosphere and slow burns and things along those lines where like i was like wow this movie is, is is great it's got that atmosphere on lock and the tension and the mood and the paranoia and everything yeah plus like it's almost the perfect movie for 2020 because we it's like we're cold nobody trusts each other <laughs> and that's what i was kind of curious with you guys just in terms of revisiting it in these times and something that we've talked about all the time is you know the baggage you bring with each viewing can affect how would the experiences for you and we're all tired. No one trusts each other. I mean, we're all living the thing in many ways. So, was it cathartic for you guys at all during this ex during this viewing, or did it make it worse? Or did it, yeah, it was just like, oh no, we're doomed. I don't know about it from that perspective, but I will say, each and every time I watch it, I get more out of it, and I realize technically what a good film it is. I mean, it is really well made. Um, I mean, practical effects, talk about those. I think it holds up much better than Creepshow and that there's the potential to get more out of it each time you watch it. Um, maybe, yeah, maybe I'm a little more cynical, you know? And so I, I dig a little more into, the thing I noticed this time about it that I didn't really notice before is that some of those characters are pretty weird to start with. So if you start wondering if they're infected, how can you tell, you know? I mean, they were weird to start with. I'd never really caught that aspect of it before. And that, so, you know, was that a product of where I am because of everything that's happened? Maybe, I don't know. I think 
for me, I came out knowing that somewhere in a multiverse where there's an apocalypse happening, I want Kurt Russell to play me in that universe because <laughs> he's just, he doesn't have to do anything, right? He can just sit there and just, he has the, he just has the look, whether he's Snake Plissken or whatever his character was in, in the thing, I can't recall. I mean, he just had, had an aura about him. So I want him to play me in the multiverse because he's just badass. It's interesting you say that because uh, he is the just like de facto leader of this group. And uh, as another thing I realized is that um, uh, who the real captain or the head of this mm -hmm. outpost was, I can't think of the actor's name now. Yeah, uh, the Moffat. Guy. Yes, yes, Donna Moffat. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he, everyone doesn't look to him, they look to Kurt Russell. And then, I don't know, halfway through or something, we find out what Kurt Russell's role is. He's the helicopter pilot. You know, so why do they pick him? I mean, well, because he had his own shack and no one could go into his own shack. I mean, that was he had his own space. It, it's the hat. He had the hat. Oh, yeah. McCready's hat is had is, Donald like Moffat that hat. It disappeared after the first part of the movie. I'm wondering if the thing had anything to do with it. Like it, it tried to it. absorb it and it just couldn't. Too powerful. <laughs> yeah. Between that, his. I, oh, yeah. I have a feeling that in the multiverse, I'm going to be played by Wilford Brimley. <laughs> I'm all right, dude. It's you the know, right thing uh, to do. You know, Creepshow had Adrian Barbeau. The Thing has Wilford Brimley. That's true. That's true. But he's not riding a horse or fucking shit up. You know, Wilford Brimley at least looked somewhat younger in this movie. You know, because you think, what, Cocoon came only, what, two years after this? And he looks like 20 years older in Cocoon. So... At some point between 82 and 84, 85, something happened to Wilfred that aged him dramatically. It was all that oatmeal. It's the not oatmeal. the right thing to do. It may be the tasty way to do it, but it's not the right thing to do. Maybe he didn't <laughs> check his blood sugar often enough. You know? Apparently. <laughs> well, between... You mentioned the slow burn genius. The, uh, I did actually make note. It was 28 minutes in before we saw any special effects or, uh, you know action as it as it is so that's a, almost a, a full third of the movie to me uh it, but then once it happens it's like non-stop mm -hmm. and uh, especially after they do the blood test i mean there's no turning back for me though once it kind of shifts to that and you lose the paranoia about really wondering who's who it loses a little bit of steam even though the action the pace picks up uh so that's kind of a contradiction uh for for me um, anyone else feel that way, or is it like once those special effects, that's when it really gets good? I, I don't know. I love the fact that they we do invest so much time into kind of getting to know these characters, to know their quirks. And I honestly, you talk about the weirdness. Of course, they're weird. They've been out there, you know, in isolated. the isolated for so long. Yeah, they just can't help but be weird at that point. And I felt bad for the dogs. They're watching the Let's dogs. Make a Deal on VHS. <laughs> yes, okay, that's a special type of person, right? You, you know, and the worst part is when you've seen that one multiple times, and he's like, oh, I know how that one ends. They're just... Yeah, they're over there repeating, Carol Merrill, tell her what they won. <laughs> you know, you got to you gotta be hard up for entertainment when you got Monty Hall on loop, you know? Well, that just makes you appreciate what we all have at this point. You know, it's, it's a bummer to go through all the streaming sites, but we still have content. But... 
I think a lot of this is owed to a number of things. Uh, first and foremost, this is one of my favorite collaborations between uh, John Carpenter and Dean Cundey because I can Gorgeous. only imagine trying to shoot the Arctic, trying to shoot ice. I, that just, to me, just seems crazy. And then the, the added pressure to make sure that you're filming the special effects in such a way that you're not losing the realness of them. And then on top of that, you got the Morricone soundtrack, the score, and he's aping Carpenter. There's a lot going on with this one. I, yeah, this is, I revisit this one every year, much like I do Creepshow, actually, so. I have a question about the, so uh, the writer was Bill Lancaster. Mm -hmm. The only thing else he wrote was Bad News Bears. Yes. How much do you think the screenplay contributes to this? I, I mean, there's no doubt it's expertly filmed technically, the special effects, the music, all of that, but do you... How, how big a factor do you think that just original source material screenplay is? Well, because it's based on the story Who Goes There. Mm -hmm. And right. so I would imagine that, you know, it, it, I, I unfortunately have not read Who Goes There, but I would imagine like the bare bones are right there. So ex extrapolating and expanding it. And extrapolating from the movie that it's a remake of as well. Yeah. So you've already got that kind of material that's there. So how do we kind of fit it to meet the the needs of a more modern audience, potentially. And that was Matt Dillon is the thing, wasn't it? No, not Matt Dillon. Um, was it Matt Dillon? James Arnest. Yes. Matt Dillon, yes, but James Arnest, the actor. <laughs> that, not the... Not the, yeah. No. <laughs> stay gold, the thing. Stay gold. Uh, yeah, that's a little... That's that one's Thingy boy. Thingy boy. Stay gold and thingy boy. Jesus Christ. Although I guess I could appreciate like Tom, it wouldn't be able to replicate Tom Cruise since he's an alien. And that's when we would actually find out that Tom Cruise is an alien when the thing tries to replicate him. Same age as Wilfred Brimley. When they shot Cocoon. Yeah. Oh, it's bizarre. It's bizarre. Um, try, um, looking at, um, have you heard that Carpenter was said, recently said he was open to a thing sequel? To a thing sequel. Hmm. And don't do it. Carpenter. I know. That's, don't that's, do it, Jason. What would you do different, though? I mean, what's what well, would be sequel, the what is it? Just a new crew comes and finds the remains. I don't know if they said anything in the, like specifics. Just that he was open to it, and as long as you open a wallet, you know, John Carpenter's kind of open to a lot of that stuff. Unfortunately, he's got a house so payment to make. So I mean, got a whole new extension so he can put in his NBA 2K wing over there. He's got to get some new record equipment. Yeah, oh, and hey, don't get me wrong. I yeah, it's great. It's the, gr his concerts are fucking dope. Yeah, he's. I gl I'm glad to see him smile now. It is really nice. But you've already mentioned a little bit about the 2011 kind of prequel. I didn't mind it. I think if it was named anything else, it would be dope. I think it's more. I think they were trying to go for that atmosphere, but it's they were like, you know what? Halfway through, like. Fuck it, let's make a creature feature. And so halfway in the middle, I'm watching it, I'm like, this is nowhere near as good. But then I'm like, you know what? Fuck it, it's a creature feature. I had a good time with it. I think I think the best part of that movie, though, is the end when you see them chasing the dog and yeah. then you realize, oh, oh my God, this is the prequel, not a remake and not a sequel. It's like, yeah, that was a pretty cool twist. Yeah, it was. That's hard to do. That's like Paranormal Activity too, right? You don't know till the end that it really happened before. I, that's... Does that pull that off? I think it's pretty cool. That's just it. And does that retroactively make the movie better? 
because of that. Well, it's also got Mew, and so that helps. I'm shocked you hadn't brought her up to that point. <laughs> I love me some Mary Elizabeth Winstead. I don't. I don't know. I don't think that has any impact really on the original. I mean, it it stands alone. It doesn't need any. Yeah, it's better to stand alone. And I think a, a sequel. There's no way. I mean, I guess you'd have to do an entirely different type story. Because mm-hmm. if you did the same story, then you're you're doing nothing more than a a remake with you know some different trappings in it, and mm-hmm. it would it would just pale in comparison. And I know they tried to do tried. a little bit of a sequel with the video game that yeah. was on like the PlayStation. Yeah, it was two? called like Outbreak something or other, where you basically go you play a part of a team to go in and see what happened. And then think shenanigans ensue. Well, speaking of shenanigans, let's go ahead and give our final thoughts on the thing before the real serious work comes into play. And wait, wait, up- wait. Before oh. we do the thing. Okay, we talked earlier about posters. Yeah. The thing and Creep Show have about two of my absolute favorite posters of all time. Yes. It's part of my actual part of my criteria that I'm going to get into. Oh, oh yeah. Did I, did I jump the gun on it? No, no. Talk about it. I mean, well, no, we'll get into because we'll be comparing and contrasting here. I think the simplistic nature of the thing just makes it pop and makes it brilliant. Yeah. But I also think the poster for Creep Show tells such a wild story. It's So we've got two bits of criteria that we're looking to compare and debate in the round of the Hateful Eight. And the first criteria we look at, and this is your guys' first time dealing with this, so welcome to the hate round of the Hateful Eight in this one. But the idea is to kind of come up with a definition, uh, uh, define the aesthetic, the style, or philosophy of what horror was like in the year of 1982, and then based on that, which of the two films fits it better? Now, of course, we usually like the guests to go first. Would you like to go first, or would you like me to go first, or one of us to kind of set the, set the scope for you? Um, so let me tell you how I approach it, then you can decide. So I looked at what other horror movies were out that year. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're going to decide the aesthetic, and special effects seem to be the thing. I mean, Cat People came out, Beast Within we talked about, uh, and both of these have practical effects, so I think that is part of it um sequels definitely friday the 13th part three halloween three uh so that's without me saying my opinion that's kind of how i assess this question that's perfect that is perfect and then based on that if we're thinking then again more special effects heavy sequelitis franchise possibly which of the two would fit that's fit that a little bit better That's tough because I mean, with Creepshow, you've also got the Stephen King factor with his books and his popularity. But I, I, I think the thing because it takes all those things that are common and does it best. That is perfect. That is perfect. Richard, would you like to go next? Her or yeah, I, I think, I think the thing was more representative of of what horror was in 1982. Creepshow was a bit of a throwback. Um, you, you know, it wasn't overly gory. So, I mean, a lot, any of the anthologies we were getting this around this time, uh, you know, we're leaning more towards the outlandish, the gory, and certainly as the eighties wore on, 
Um, but the thing was very much, you know, with the special effects and just um, the overall feel of the movie was was more representative of 1982. So on that criteria, I, I would say the thing would fit. That is perfect. That is perfect. Genius McGee. See, I'm not 100% sure where I'm going to go on this. I mean, yes, when you think of the 80s, you think of great special effects, but you also think of like like slashers. But again, if you think about the 80s, King was King. You know, I mean, you couldn't go anywhere without hearing something from Stephen King about Stephen King book, a Stephen King movie, a Stephen King anything. And yes, you have a horror artur with uh with John Carpenter doing what he does best. But Romero had a good, quite a good track record in a history. And so like, but see, that's where I'm, I'm debating because they're both very special effects heavy. They're both very, again, in the eighties, people were not as trusting as they were now. <laughs> um, but <laughs> I don't know. I, th- yeah. And from where you're going, like the, the team up of King and Romero, and Tom Savini, that is like sort of a culmination of, of like everything that was popular in yeah. horror at that time. And to get that yeah. all together, that does say something. It yeah. does, yeah. So, so I'm going to go creep show. Tough. All right. No, that's again, this is this is the madness kicks in. And then when you start hearing everyone talking, like, oh shit, should yeah. I say that? So I'm going to take the approach of looking at 1992 as the banner year in genre. And just 82. basically, but I say 92. Oh, shoot, 82. Good Lord. Already a year ahead here. Um, but looking and just thinking of the greats, as you all have already kind of touched upon it, and then comparing the two films, looking at both of the directors, you've got John Carpenter on one hand and George A. Romero on the other, and that's a tough deci- decision in terms of who's better, but quite honestly, I think John Carpenter might have a stronger body of work. I know Romero walked so Carpenter could run in terms of independent filmmaking. I get that, but... JC has just a pretty strong body of work, so I'm going to give the director the aspect on that. Uh, we talked the special effects. Rob Bottin practically recreated and uncreated special effects with the stuff he did in the thing, but then we look at Savini's work and his legacy and how he actually, his legacy is still felt, even though Bottin's is. My thing is, I've never seen Rob Bottin do a backflip. I've seen Savini backflip multiple times. So given that, I'm going to kind of give the edge to Savini in Creepshow. Uh, looking at the score, I love the score in Creepshow. I was listening yeah. to today while at work on vinyl. It's got the, the artwork by Ghoulish Gary Pullen. I love John Harrison's work in Day of the Dead. But it's Ennio Morricone. Yeah. I mean, it's tough to really go against that. So I'm going to go with the thing on the score... And then when you look at the writing, Bill Lancaster, yes, I love the Bad News Bears, but my goodness, have you tried to watch that with a current audience? Tanner will clear a room like nobody's dirty business. And again, I love that. I love that. But then you you compare that with Stephen King, and it's Stephen friggin' King. So I got to go with Creepshow, which means I got two votes apiece on that side. So my vote, my split vote, is a combination of the poster and the taglines. The poster by Drew Struzan, and Drew Struzan has created some of the best poster work in poster work history, Oh, absolutely. And the tagline of the thing, man is the warmest place to hide. Mwah, chef's kiss. But Joanne Daly, 
did the design work for Creepshow. In addition to, I believe, um, Scanners, um, a number of other films that stood out, but there is something about the creep in the box office window beckoning you and saying, this is the most fun you'll have being scared. And I don't know if it's the nostalgia in me as well, but my tiebreaker, I'm giving Creepshow my vote in terms of the 82 aesthetics, in terms of greatness, but it could be any other... Any other day, it could go the thing, but my vote in this case is going to be creep show. You showed your work significantly well, sir. Oh, yes, I thought about I, I thought about that one. You showed your nerves. I'm over here. Like, uh, well, I think. The next time you ask who goes first, it is you. For sure. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I love both of these films. Yeah, and this is I, hard. I this is hard. Really no. hard. So far, this is the hardest one. Oh, without a doubt, we're going to upset someone here. So let's go ahead and continue the upsetting. We are now in the year of 2022, lamenting and just loving on both of these films. But the question is, which of these two films will people still be talking about 40 years later into the future? So who would like to start with this one? Not me. Unless Not me. I'll, I'll go. Genius, you're going to go? go? Okay. I'll go. Uh, we're actually going to be talking about both these movies 40 years in the future, right? However, I think while The Thing has more legs as a standalone movie, as we've seen, the sequels are superiorly subpar. Without Creepshow, we wouldn't have this modern uh, retelling. We wouldn't have Creepshow 2, and I'm not going to live in a world without Creepshow 2. <laughs> And I think we would have, we would still have anthologies to this day, but I don't think they would be the same. I think Creepshow showed, hey, you can have an anthology play in a movie theater for a modern audience and sensibilities and then keep going and keep having it fun. How many anthologies have we seen that feels very Creepshow-esque? Mm. I mean, all the creatures were stirring, fucking Tales from the Hood is very Creepshow-esque. And yeah, you can make the argument that it all stems back to the EC comics. But without the original Amicus Tales from the Crypt, without t movies like Creepshow, the world of anthologies would not be the same. If you took away the thing, you're going to take away a lot. Of, you're going to take away a fantastic movie. And you're going to take away a lot of people's favorite movie. But you're also going to take away the sequel. Well, we're not taking it away. Remember, which one are we still talking about? Oh, we're still talking about. Okay, so... I think because we're we have the modern remake of Creepshow. I think because we have the series, and hell, unfortunately we have Creepshow three. We're still going to be talking about that. So my vote is Creepshow because anytime you're going to mention anthologies, you have to mention Creepshow. Absolutely, absolutely. I. I, I will disagree on almost all of those points uh, because in this rich, this is help me out here. This is where we come in. You know, yes. we wouldn't have creep show if it wasn't for Dr. Terror's house of horrors. Uh, if it wasn't for tales from the crypt and vault of horror from amicus, it, in my opinion, uh, 40 years from now, we will still look at the thing as the technical achievement that it was a turning point, uh, maybe even fondly of oh remember how we used to do practical effects remember the thing <laughs> uh, i don't see us talking about creep show as a landmark movie 40 years from now so your vote's the thing 
Yes, the thing. So. Very much the thing. Very much the thing. Richard. Ugh. Um, this is hard. Um, both of you brought very, very valid points. Um, I do agree with, with, with Jeff on the point that, you know, the thing was, was cutting edge and it, it, something we'll still be talking about 40 years. But, you know, I also agree that, that Creepshow left a bigger footprint because, again, we, would, we had a sequel. Um, we won't talk about Creepshow 3, but you've got a, a series... Uh, that's going on shutter. You've also, I, I wonder like tales from the crypt, you know, how much influence creep show had on doing tales from the crypt. Uh, Cause tales from the crypt was not too many years later, maybe what 88, 89, 90. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but, uh, man, but Jeff is right. I mean, we, you know, creep show wouldn't be there without, amicus you know the all the anthology films um because the question is though if we didn't have creep show would we have some of the more lighthearted anthologies and i don't know that, that's a good question ah see my this is where i've got to put aside my nostalgia kind of tugging me towards creep show ah. <laughs> I, I begrudgingly, begrudgingly say that the the thing, <laughs> begrudgingly, I, I I hate saying that, but I, I think that the thing is very, I guess even thinking about watching it now, you know, I mean, it's very timely, some of the themes and stuff in it. Creepshow's fun, though, and, and fun horror is important, um, but... While Creepshow probably did better in the box office in 1982, over time, I think, you know, the thing has probably had a bigger impact. Um, I'll say the thing. No, nope, begrudgingly. I, no, again, noted for prosperity, begrudgingly. <laughs> I think you guys are all overthinking this, and we will still be talking both of these 40 years later. Yeah. But the one they're going to talk about first is two very simple words. We've talked it before. It's Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell mm -hmm. is a star. Kurt Russell has drawing power. Kurt Russell were the last words of Walt Disney. So Kurt Russell might be a killing phrase for all I know, but the star power of Kurt Russell, the fact that he is a recognizable star, I hate to say that. And again, not throwing shade on Creepshow because I'm Hal Holbrook. <coughs> Mike <Stephen> King. <coughs> Oh, yeah, no, but I'm talking, like, in terms of a, a, a Hollywood person. Like, more people probably have heard of the thing, normie-wise, than Creepshow, potentially. So because of that, my vote is going to go to the thing. And by a count of two, four, five to three, making its way into the round of the Frightful Four, John Carpenter's the thing. See, I had my music for Creepshow... All ready to go <laughs> to do my Ed Harris dance. You can do an Ed Harris dance. It's just going to be a no, sad. No, Ed it's going. Yeah, it's going to be a sad. And then you can't be sad at Creep Show. <laughs> but well, I'm exhausted. Well, and it's really funny because I had to look. I thought we might have a tie in this case. Now I will say, if we ever have a tie, we always look to the cover of Fangoria. Mm -hmm. You would have been upset. 
the thing the, the thing had a main cover article the creep show never did it was always Weird. to the side. Weird. I was shocked actually You'd when think I like saw Fluffy that. Fluffy would be front and center. I assumed it would as well. So, hmm. representing the year of 1982, we've got John Carpenter's The Thing. Don't let go. And if you want to let go and blame our special guest on this, oh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Oh, wow. <laughs> no, in fact, though, by the way, don't think we weren't going to let you go without actually saying congratulations. Congratulations, on man. That's awesome. Nomination. Um, sincerely, seeing you guys up there with Colors of the Dark. And Mick Garris put a smile on my face. Mm-hmm. So again, congratulations on that. Tell you guys, oh, thank you. Classing thank you it up, much. man. Yeah, you guys are our very special guest star. If, if if we were one of those movies, if from we the, were the Love Boat, yeah, and special guest star, classic horrors. Cl- <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that. that. That's an honor. No, this is absolutely. always so much fun and. But man, you guys exhausted me on this one. This was a tough one. This was tough. Yeah, man. it was. I assume most people would assume the thing, but I'm glad Creepshow really put up a hell of a fight. Yeah, it did. I yeah, mean, it did. Yeah, it was close. So, I mean, I'm my vote's still Creepshow. <laughs> I think I think because like, because if you were to ask me what movie do I want to watch now, I'm always going to go fun. Yeah. As opposed to Dower. Yeah. And so, yeah. And again, this never determines that a movie is better than another one. Right. It just, just whatever wins the bracket. Whatever won the bracket. So which film will be going up against 1982 in 1992, 2002, and 2012? Well, here next Monday, we're going to kick things off in the first round of 1992. So again, Jeff, Richard, thank you guys so much again. The Classic Horrors Club podcast. And uh, until the next time. For the last time in March Madness of 2022. This is for you, Ed Harris.